Hello and welcome. You are <laughs> off the edge <laughs> with Matt and Zach and also our good brother in rock and roll, uh, Daryl Rocky, guitarist for Edge Over Edge. And today we have the honor and the privilege of having in command center with us, Andrew J. Rausch, also known as Andy. He is an author. He is a film journalist. He's a screenwriter. He is a producer, amongst many, many other things. We're really pleased to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Advocate. Hey, thank you. Advocate. Well, and, and advocate. Yes, and an advocate as well. And uh, yeah, I do want to touch upon that. But And a pain in the ass. You can ask my wife. <laughs> a real man of our time. <laughs> um, I, I'm not familiar with a lot of your work. I have to be honest. Well, because, no one is. So, well, no, well, um, <laughs> I'm not even famous in my own household. So. <laughs> that, well, that's the kids are like, change. who are you? <laughs> but um, D- Daryl brought you to our attention, and it was a little short notice. So I want to thank you again for, for no, doing no this problem. on short notice. Um, but uh, then I, I was like, all right, well, who's this Andy guy? And it's like, man, you must be one of the busiest mofos out there. Like, y- you have a lot of credits. You have a Written nearly 40 books. As Over I 40 books now. Over 40 books. Yeah. All right. I mean, seems like you must just be always going. I am. I am. <laughs> uh, I'm bipolar, so that's part of it that kind of keeps me going. But um, I had a heart transplant. I'm sure he told you that. Yes. I had a heart transplant a couple of years ago. And a lot of what moves me, as embarrassing as it is to say, is just the fear of dying and not getting all the things done that I want to get done. Yeah. So I'm constantly working on seven or eight projects at a time. Part of that's the bipolar. But part of that's also the never-ending race against time. I get. But no matter completely. who you are, you're gonna. When you die, you're gonna die with projects not finished. And so when you're working on eight of them, it just increases the chances that you'll die with <laughs> seven or eight of them unfinished. But well, on that inspiring note, thanks for <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I'm not planning on going anywhere though. So. No, that's good. I'm glad to see that you're you're getting healthy after all that. Fat. I'm getting fat. So maybe too healthy. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, you're. Join the club, or yeah, 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 man. Yeah. You know, I discovered a thing today, and I hate to admit it. Was it your penis? No, no. <laughs> I've been familiar with it for a long time. Uh, side boobs. So, oh yeah, side yeah. boobs, good. Yeah. No, I mean, you got your arms. Shit. Oh, you have side. Oh, no, well, that's your not side as boob good. is not good. No, 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 no. Side boobs. Like what? Mm. <sighs> Good right. Lord. I have to get them dogs. <laughs> get to walking. <laughs> um, well, I, maybe the, the best place to start is because I, I love books, especially I love fiction. And you've written both nonfiction and fiction. Right. Um, among many other things. But um, if I was going to uh, dive into, you know, your world of writing, um, what do you think I should start with? And on top of that, do you have audio? Are there audiobooks out of any of your stuff? Um, there are audiobooks of, uh, I think, four of them now. Okay. Um, I generally write crime fiction. Uh, when I write, it's weird. When I write short stories, they're generally horror or weird, you know, mm-hmm. um, inspired a lot by stories by people like Stephen King. His short stories always had a big influence. But for some reason, when I write fiction, it's always crime. Yeah. I mean, I did write a comedy. Um, which was really goofy. It was about Elvis Presley as a CIA assassin, which was kind of fun. Um, but crime is pretty much my, my, my bread and butter. And okay. So as far as the one to pick, you know, um, I don't think a writer ever exactly knows what their best stuff is. Cause my favorite is the one that gets the worst reviews, but 
Um, generally, they all get good reviews. Uh, the consensus seems to be, I have one called Layla's Score. Okay. Which is about um, a hitman, and uh, he kills, he goes to kill this man, and when he opens up the shower to shoot this man, he's in. The, he finds that the guy's in, in there with his wife. And he's cleared the house and everything. He kills both of them. And when he's leaving, he hears a little girl crying. And so then he doesn't know what to do. And we skip ahead eight years. And now he's raising this little girl as his own. Oh, wow. And so it's sort of um, sort of like a Road to Perdition type of story, but really nothing like Road to Perdition. I, I, it only it sounds like it in that way that it's a hitman and his child. Yeah. You know, um, and just as much inspired by... Um, you know, the, the Japanese baby cart movies, if you've ever seen those, the samurai movies, um, which actually inspired road to perdition. But, um, so that's it. I wrote it for my little girl, even though the characters are black, it's about my little girl. I mean, the little girl is my little girl. And I had gotten inspired by, um, Stephen King had written Firestarter basically about his little girl. If she possessed these powers because he knew that little girl inside and out, you know? And so Mm -hmm. That, I wrote this for my little girl when I thought I was going to die, when I was waiting for my transplant. And so I actually got the transplant in the middle of it. Um, so I had to take, I was in the hospital for several months. So I had to take a long, and even when I got out, I shook so bad from the medicine. Mm-hmm. I was afraid I'd never be able to write again, but it, thankfully the tremors went away. I was able to finish the book, but that's generally, the general consensus is that's the best. So Okay. Well, what's your favorite then? My favorite is this really dark one called Until One of Us is Dead. And it's, the problem is I went with the wrong publisher. I went with a publisher that sells more, which is great, but they marketed it as a mainstream book. So it looks like it could be a James Patterson book, you know, some really mainstream thing. But when people read it, it's really dark, like ridiculously (laughs) dark and, and it's unhappy and it really pisses people off. So the reviews are either five stars or one star, depending on who reads it. And, you know, when the, the right audience reads it, it's five star. But I had a review by a man that said, this is the most vulgar piece of work I've ever read. Uh, I would never be friends with the person that wrote this. He says, I can assure you it's gross because I'm 95 years old and I've read <laughs> a lot of stuff. But the fact that he's 95, I can tell you he's exactly not the audience. Right. You know, right, I mean, this is, right. this is really, really morbidly dark stuff. Um, so, so, so what? worse than like, like Chuck Palahniuk or, you know, it's funny. I'm reading the new Chuck Palahniuk now and I love it, but it's, it's probably in line with that kind of stuff. I, I heard, mean, it, I heard okay. the new one wasn't that good. I kind of like it, but yeah. you know, there was a period there of about eight, nine years where I didn't like anything he wrote. And all of a sudden this year, he has a book on writing that's very good. It was nonfiction. He has Fight Club 3, which is um, a graphic novel, which is good. And he's got this one, which, you know, it's maybe not the best book I've ever read, but it's very good compared to a lot of the things he's put out over the last decade. So it feels like maybe he's coming back, um, but he's kind of an influence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There was one uh, one podcast uh, we were sitting in here and we were waiting for the we had a band in that night uh-huh. and so I put on uh, it was the audio book or short story uh, guts right right yeah I put that <laughs> they're sitting so I you know the guys that were coming in late. And you're they're like, talking. what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> what are we getting into? There's a guy into? jacking off at the bottom of a pool. What the fuck? Well, you know, what's that? funny is uh, <laughs> I had to make sure when Daryl set this podcast up that it wasn't last night because last night I had bought tickets for this uh, online Q&A with Chuck Polinick. It was limited to 250 tickets. 
but it's like a Zoom meeting, and you get the book in advance, and it's autographed, which was cool. Wow. Um, but anyway, so we waited online for 40 minutes, and there's no Chuck. And But it was fun meeting these crazy people that are fans, you know, and yeah. we were having this fun talk. But then the guy comes on, and he's like, okay, so Chuck's not going to be here because uh, Chuck tried to get on early, and he didn't really know how to use Zoom, and he ended up trying to log in too many times, and it locked him out. So we tried to get him a ticket, and then he still couldn't log in. So we're doing it again <laughs> Thursday, which oh, – so goodness. it's funny that you brought up pulling it because it was right. literally <laughs> last night. But I mean, he is kind of an influence, you know? Yeah. 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 Just because he doesn't give a, are we able to curse? Oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, doesn't absolutely. give a fuck. So, and that's not at all, you know. And so, my earlier writing, I felt like it was kind of tame. Yeah. But I'm trying to get away from that. You know, yeah. I've I've got a new book I just finished, which is about it's sort of like about a white trash mafia that's like in Branson, which is crazy. But it's like it's around the Branson area. <laughs> I'm like I'm sold already. I'm sold. <laughs> but it's so ridiculous, you know. It, and it's like sort of like it's like Goodfellas with white trash. It's like these guys that live on like meth and Mountain Dew. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was crazy. So, but I'm not going with that other publisher with this one. Right. I'm, I'm still shopping it at the moment. Um, it's sitting with the publisher now, so we'll see. But uh, it, it's a lot darker. Fun. <laughs> it's fun dark. Okay, it's not morbidly dark. <laughs> so that, that totally reminds or makes me think of I, I've always wanted to do. Kind of like a, a psychobilly band, but slash graphic novel type thing, right? It was going to be called Cox Sinatra in the Trailer Park <laughs> Mafia. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. see, in this so one. So if you want to flesh that out. Right. <laughs> that's pretty cool. In this one. Just give a, me a little nod. That's all I do. In this one, there's a stationary. Uh, well, what's funny, your sister-in-law, Amy, was the first person I told about this book, uh, Daryl. So um, when I thought of it, she's like, you should totally go for that. And um, so it's about this stationary carnival that actually is sort of the home of this all the all the carnies are like criminals and so there's a line at the beginning where not every carny is a criminal but every carny at funland sure as fuck is you know and and uh the guy that runs it is also a minister and his name is reverend sammy and he's sort of the head of it and it's these really debauched uh horrible group of people but and it was fun to write. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to read this one. That makes, just off the top of my head, question for you. Because it seems to me like there's two types of writers. Mm-hmm. There's someone that, that develops a plot and then sticks some characters in there right. to advance the plot. Or there's people that, that make up some characters and it's like, what are these characters going to do? And then explores the characters. Do you have one way that you kind of Mine sort it? of varies from book to book. Generally, I have an idea. And sometimes I even make out a... a kind of a plot a plan of where it's going to go but it never ends up where i think it's going to go yeah it always ends up being something completely different you know people talk about the characters sort of writing their own way and in a way that does happen you know because there'll be things where i think i had no idea this was going to happen and now it changes the trajectory of the whole book yeah Um, so right now i'm working on a book that i always start close to something you know that i know as far as what i've written so i'm working on a book now that's a crime book that takes place in hell and Mm. uh so that's kind of fun, kind of crazy, you know. So, so would crime in hell be like doing good things? <laughs> it's just I can't. Don't even go into it right <laughs> yeah, now. No, but it's okay. just this crazy story. Um, you know, uh, this black guy, this white guy, sort of like a Happen Leonard kind of guys, but they're they're ex cops. They lost their jobs for being dirty cops. They were working for uh, this crime lord. I put it in Kansas city just cause I kind of like writing in these areas that people don't talk about or people right, yeah. don't cause there is fucking crime here. There is fucking crime in Branson or where maybe not Branson, but you know, in that area, Absolutely. you know, I mean, 
there's a lot of shit goes down in Missouri, period. Like there's not a lot of people in Southeast Kansas where we are, but we have a really high murder rate per right. capita. It's right. like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind yeah. Of, that's kind of And we freaky. certainly have drugs. You know what I mean? Yes. Like we have a lot of drugs and <laughs> a lot of shit goes on. And you know, and people only think of, you know, New York, LA, but the, the states they call the flyover states, no one thinks about the shit that goes on right. in these places. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, uh, it's prime time we write about them, you know? Yeah. So in Layla's score, a lot of it takes place in Tulsa. A lot of it takes place in, some of it takes place in St. Louis, which is where I got my heart transplant. Um, a lot of it takes place in Detroit, which I don't really know about Detroit. I had to research a little bit and bullshit, but, <laughs> but I tried to keep it kind of close to home. I was going to write about independence of all places, huh? um, but it, I ended up tossing that book out. Hmm. Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> when <clears throat> when my daughter was born, uh-huh. I went outside for a smoke, and there was a guy walking down the street with no shirt on, wind pants, and a sword. And I was like, "That was me." <laughs> Sorry, no. no, it was not you. <laughs> this dude was fucking. Was cut. that in Parsons? No, it was in Independence. Right. Here, my my daughter just asked me this weekend, "Why are there so many people in Independence with no shirts on?" Like guys that walk around with no shirts. And I was just like, when you grow up, you'll understand. It's independence. What do you want me to tell you? But, <laughs> I, but I told the doctor, I said, there's a lot of weirdos here. And I, right. that was just the one guy that stands out. And there was a couple other things that were just kind of questionable. Just all around the hospital. And I thought I was like in, right. I thought I was in Vice City for a minute or something. Because <laughs> these just these outrageous over-the-top characters. Yeah. There are two things. In, 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 I'm sure it happens everywhere. But in small town America, that uh, that cracks me up. The the more common one now are the guys or gals uh, walking down the street. Obviously, they've probably got a, a Bluetooth, you know, connected right. to their phone. But they look like they're talking to themselves. But, but the, it's like they're having a heated discussion with somebody. But you then know. some of them are probably talking yeah. to themselves. Well, that's you true. Know. Oh, yeah. The other ones are the ones that are fending off the invisible bees. Right. Those are my favorite. Because <laughs> they're just walking along. But aren't all we all sort of fun fending off the invisible beast? I, you know, it's funny because I do work yeah, with metaphorically. People, I'm <laughs> I work with people that have disability. You know, a lot of them mental disabilities, and I and I do uh, advocate for them. But it's interesting. You know, the farther you get down into that well, where you you start to look at my perceptions, and and again, I'm bipolar. If I don't take my medicine, I might be that guy out there. You know, with no Bluetooth on, just fending off the beast. And, yeah. You know, and and. The, the people that we think are crazy people, you know, because we, we don't learn about those things when we're in school. Mm-hmm. We don't understand why Billy's doing this thing over here in the corner or that. And, right. and, and so that's always a fascinating journey for me to just stop and, and analyze my perceptions of what, you know, what these people are doing or who right. these people are. Or sometimes the people that make me mad, I have to think, is there, is there some reason behind the things that they're doing, the things that they're saying? Also, or are they just an asshole? And a lot of times they're just an asshole, but even the assholes a lot of times have a reason for why they're an asshole. It's their social, right. con- their social construct. Right, right. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. But So I just wandered us way off topic. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. It's good. This is how these flow. Yeah, these, yeah, these are the roads we like to take. So. I, I love um, something you just said is that, you know, the, we should all be thinking about what's the, what's the reason behind you know, why someone is doing what they're doing. Right. You know, um, but it's I hard, think you know? It, it, it is hard. You know, sometimes you just have a gut reaction. And you're like, I don't like that. You know? Right. But, um, if we could all take the time to say like, all right, why uh, on the surface, maybe I don't, I, I disagree with this, this or that, but that's the neighbor. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> 
So what else you want to talk about? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Speak. It's just a hand in the bush. <laughs> well. <laughs> so, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, but, all right. You know. Hey, we're doing a podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it on the doorstep and get the hell out of here. Uh, well, I don't do this with everybody. I usually don't take notes on people, but you got so much going on. I had to write myself a little index card because I was just like, man, there's so many things Jack I want Jack of all hit. trades and master of none, as they say. Oh, uh, right? yeah. You know, though, I have to say that I've been seeing, it's weird, since the transplant, I'm seeing more little breakthroughs in things, you know? I don't expect mm-hmm. to ever be Stephen King or, you know, but it, it, I am seeing a lot more things that all of a sudden I've interviewed so many people that I always dreamed of interviewing because I do a lot of interviews right. for books right and magazines. And so um, I'd chased Quentin Tarantino for 25 years. We met in 1999, but I'd never interviewed him. And so I interviewed him last year for a book I did. I interviewed um, Shane Black, who's a screenwriter that I really like. He did um, The Nice Guys and uh, Lethal Weapon. He created Lethal Weapon. The, uh, but Predator. You know, he did the new Predator movie. He yeah, did. He um, starred in the first one. Yeah, he had a little part in that. I and say so, um, starred, but right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the last Boy Scout, you know, um, Iron Man three, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I also years ago, speaking of the Iron Man movies, um, I interviewed John Favreau, who directed nice what the other two, I think, yeah, the Iron yeah, Man yeah. movies. So, but I don't know. It's just been crazy, and these little breakthroughs. You know, um, Brian Keene is a, is getting to be a pretty big horror writer, and he invited me to be on his podcast last year, and. Became friends with Joe Lansdale, who's one of my favorite writers. You know, he wrote, uh, he was writing horror stories when I was in high school, which was a long time ago, you know, and, um, but now everybody knows him for Happen Leonard and, but he had this series called The Drive-In, which was a horror series of books back in the day. And I mean, this this guy's amazing. So it's really weird to meet these people and find out they're just regular people like us, you know, and I don't know what the hell I expected, but. Yeah. I mean, not Quentin. Quentin talks about himself in third person, but everybody else is just, uh, they're just, and he only did it once in our interview, but you know, everybody else is just normal people. It just stood out though, didn't it? Well, the other person that I interviewed that was weird, that really did that, wasn't as big of a person. It was Dick Dale, you know, the, uh-huh. the yeah, years and years legend. ago, I interviewed Dick Dale. And even though he's a surf guitar legend, he's not like Elvis, you know, where he's a household name. Right. Maybe he should be a household name, but yeah. he's one of those people. And like even Joe Lansdale, you know, these people that you might know in circles, but not everybody knows. But when I interviewed Dick Dale years ago for a book I was doing on Tarantino that I ended up scrapping. He was, you know, well, when Dick Dale sits down to, you know, and it was just the funny, oh, it was the first wow. person I'd ever met that did that. <laughs> and it's always stood out to me. So if I can get just a little more fame, you're going to start hearing me go, well, Andy Roush, you know. <laughs> but the funny thing, when I interviewed Quentin, Quentin went so far as to say uh, that something was, you know, it's just part of the Quentin Tarantino mythos. Oh, I God. talked about his own mythos. And I thought, <laughs> oh. well, that's big balls, <laughs> man, but. But, uh, uh well, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I named my son after him. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, sometimes there's something to that, uh, just having that ego so big that you just will things no. into existence. Well, you no. Know and I mean? think he's done that. Cause you're talking yeah. about a guy that didn't finish high school right. that, you know, when he made it, he was making, he was working a minimum wage job and see the book I did last year, uh, is about his first film, which was before reservoir dogs. He was working on a small film. And what's funny, he was making it on a minimum wage salary. He paid for it from his video store salary. And what's funny, that movie had him. It had Roger Avery, who went on to, well, he co-wrote Pulp Fiction, directed other movies like Rules of Attraction, stuff like that. And then Craig uh, Hammond, 
who's a friend of mine who went on to direct also. He did a movie called Boogie Boy with Mark Nacoscos and some other people, Joan Jett. Um, but it's weird you end up with these three people from this movie with a $5,000 budget, you know, that yeah. go on and direct big features. I mean, that's insane to me. So anyway, that was what the, that book was about. I just thought that was really neat. You know? That's very neat. So when yeah. people knock him, I mean, there maybe there are things to knock about him. I think there's things to knock about everybody. Sure. But, you know, he is a guy that I see as an inspiration if for no other reason. Now there's a heart swinging back there. It went from the hand to the heart. Yeah, well. Anyway. Got some crazies upstairs. No one's going to know what there, we're talking about here. There, yeah. there, there's a uh, there's a haunted house upstairs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Like during Halloween, you know. That you, could be my old heart. Well, it could yeah. be the heart they took out. Yeah, it's well preserved. <laughs> you know, a lot of people when they take their heart out, they didn't do it at my hospital. I think he's fishing for zombies. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, they give people the option sometimes to hold their own heart after they take it out. Whoa. And I would have been like, you know, fuck no. Uh, but yeah, they didn't ask and then I was cool with it, you know. That's morbid as shit. That is morbid. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's a lot for me to say cuz I'm right. I'm morbid. morbid. <laughs> no, I'm completely morbid. Yeah. What was funny, that book I told you about that was so morbid until yeah. one of us is dead. So I screwed up and I kind of forgot how morbid it was cuz I'm very proud of that book. Um, but what was funny was I let my mother-in-law read it, which was probably not a great idea. <laughs> Because, you know, she was like, well, that was interesting. And, <laughs> you know, and, and that she's a sweet lady, you know, but I, I think that wasn't the one to let her read. Right. I, yeah, I kind of right. screwed up on it because I forget that sometimes my mind doesn't go to the same places a lot of other people's minds go, you know, because um, you hear a lot of people that, they, you know, if they read a book, see, this is a thing that drives me nuts just in general. People read a book or they see a movie and it's got a bad guy in it that does bad things. And they think that the, the person that created that does those things or believes those things. But, you know, say you write a book with 100 characters in it. 90 of them are fantastic people that go around and do great deeds. Right. Mm -hmm. 10 of them do really horrible things or even one. Nobody attributes those good deeds to the, to the writer. But people <laughs> right. sure right. as hell think, you know, and the same thing. Okay, so say Quentin Tarantino, he gets knocked because his stuff uses the N-word. Right. Now, I don't particularly think that's a, a thing to, you know— to, to love, but I mean, I have characters that say that because that's real life. Right, but sure. here's the thing about that, that I do have a problem with that, is that people get angry about that and believe that he must be a racist, but they don't say anything about all the people that get killed in those, that get murdered. They don't say, yeah, I bet yeah. he goes around and he's a hitman in real life right, and murders right. people. And the thing is, you know, that just cracks me up because characters are characters and- if every character was just like you, there'd be no conflict in your book. There'd be right. no conflict in your movie because they'd all be walking around. They'd be exactly the same. Yeah. I think he's more inclined to dress up like the Gimp personally. Right. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I think it's really important just in in general for people to realize that they have the potential for great malevolence, that they have the potential to reach you know great depths of depravity in the right conditions. Right. Oh, I know? think anybody could in the right yeah, conditions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like- you could have been a Nazi, maybe, like maybe, yeah, you know, like yeah. under the right conditions, right. right circumstances. It's like you, if you let yourself, if your morality, well, you know, it's far, like people say, well, if I'd have lived like, back then, I'd have done this. Well, it's not, you don't know what you, you would have done. You yeah. don't know what you would have done if you lived in Germany at that time. You don't know what you would have done in this country if you'd have lived there in, here in 1880. Right. You, we just right. don't know because yeah, we're exactly. not in that. We're in a place where we're comforted enough where we can sit around and go, this is what I do. And. You know, I think it, like if you don't know that you're capable of those things, then how can you guard against doing them? Right. How can you make the the conscious choice to do good? Like I'm in, I'm interested in that. Well, Getting kind of philosophical, maybe, but so, 
I Can I mention something yeah, real quick? Yeah. Since you mentioned the GIMP, I have something really funny to tell you, okay? So I cannot confirm this is true because I was told this, but I hope it's true. I'm going to say it on podcast. So, you know, however many people listen, they'll, you know. But um, Dwayne Whitaker, who plays the, there's two guys in that scene. There's Peter Green and Dwayne mm-hmm. Whitaker that are the guys working in the pawn shop. Right. Dwayne Whitaker is the guy with the beard. Right. Okay. So what's funny when we made our movie, we made a low-budget movie in Parsons called Zombiegeddon. Yes. It's not a very good movie, really, but <laughs> but you know what? It was a lot of fun, and um, and I, I don't want to, you know, I didn't write that. I did write a couple scenes, in, but I don't, I do not take credit for writing that. The story's kind of a mess, but it was a fun movie. Right. Anyway, we had Tom Savini in that, and Tom Savini had done something that kind of pissed me off. I got drunk when I did the extra, the interview for the extras in that, so I kind of badmouthed Tom Savini and made, like, some shitty remark about him. So... I find out a couple years later that Dwayne Whitaker is at a convention, the guy from Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. and he, who plays Zed, by the way. I think he's Zed. He's one of them, anyway. Maynard, maybe. The, the, yeah. He's the guy with the beard, the heavyset guy. In the Zed punch was blonde. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. Because Zed's dead, baby. Yeah. So, but anyway, <laughs> and he was had a crowd of people, and they were standing around talking, and they were talking about Tom Savini, and for whatever reason, he quotes me verbatim, and he's like, oh, that guy, Andy Ruff, which, you know what? When you're nobody and you live in Parsons, that's pretty fucking cool. Right? Yeah. You know? Like, that's pretty fucking cool. So, I mean, it's not maybe as cool as, like, if Sam Jackson well, or, you know... Yeah. Uh, What's it? John Travolta says it. Yeah. Like maybe it's a little cooler, but still pretty fucking cool. No, Man, I just just cool. one time I would love. <laughs> he doesn't even have to say my name. It's just Sam Jackson. Going, right, that motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he would be the one to narrate my life. That's right. Yeah. Because I'd ha- I'd have to have a lot of motherfuckers in my story. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a thing that people do bitch about in my writing is that there are a lot of curse words. My stories are not for everybody. Yeah. But I don't mm-hmm. understand why there's a different. Uh, why we look for different things in a film than we do in a movie or in a book. Because yeah. in a film, you can have Goodfellas that says fuck 500 times. Uh, yeah. Or Scarface, which says fuck 500 times. But if you have a book that says fuck every other page, people get irate. Yeah. And that's okay. Those are the books I write. Well, I mean, it's just like the, the difference between nudity and violence. It's true. You why, know, it's why, true. why is violence sure. so much more acceptable? I think some people view books as like a higher level thing for whatever reason. Like I've got, I've got they some do. acquaintances that say like, oh, if it's not like classic literature, then I'm right. not going to bother with it. It's like, uh, and I tend to gravitate more towards pulp. So I'm okay sure. with that. Yeah. Or, you know, or Elmore Leonard is sort of my writing God, you know, who wrote, um, you know, get shorty. Rum uh, punch. Uh, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's right. Rum punch, which became Jackie Brown. You know, um, Elmore Leonard is sort of my God, you know, yeah. as far as justified. That's right. Justified. That's right. I'm working on a book about <laughs> Elmore Leonard that'll be turned in this year. So, and here comes the awkward silence. Oh, yeah. no. I want, because we mentioned Zombie Yedden, but, and you said you didn't write that, but you did write a screenplay. Did you not? I did write a screenplay. I've written a couple. Um, I've, here's the thing I've optioned two books. Uh, neither one have gotten made, at least yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Elvis Presley, CIA assassin, uh, did sell. But then it never, and I wrote it, I had to write a script for that. It never got made, which is probably a good thing because legally I curi- I'm curious how that would have gone. Elvis right. murdering oh. people. But then on the, and, and like, there's a part where like, there's some tacky shit in it. Like he assassinates John Lennon in one part of it and stuff. I mean, there's some tacky shit in it, but then, um, I'm surprised the book even made it out there, frankly. <laughs> and then, uh, I had one, um, called bloody sheets a couple years ago, um, about a father that's taking on the clan. Uh, because his son was murdered. And what's funny is, um, 
I shouldn't go into too much detail because it's still out there. Sure. But there were some entities that were involved with it that made the comment that they wanted more comedy. Now, if you can't gather from the description I just gave you, there's no comedy in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that hasn't been made yet, at least. Um, but it is sitting with a, a pretty good-sized production company. Yeah. It's made some things that you guys know. Um, but the the one that I did have produced was um, Dahmer versus Gacy, which it's a bad movie, but I like it. Um, I'll defend it. But the thing is, it was made to be a $500 movie, or it was written to be originally. Because I had a buddy, the same guy that made Zombie Gun, that said, and it's funny because we're credited as co-writers. I wrote the script, but he came up with the title. So, okay. Yeah. So anyway, but again, if you don't come up with that title, there's no story. Right. But he said, what if we made a movie called Dahmer versus Gacy? And I thought it was brilliant <laughs> because it's something you can make with no budget where you already have built-in name recognition. Right. It's like yes. Freddy versus Jason in a way. Now, people were really outraged because, you know, they thought we were glorifying or making jokes about serial killers. And we really were. Yeah. But, um... It, and and people wanted it to be a horror movie, and it's kind of a comedy, and it really makes people mad that it's a comedy. It gets horrible. It, that's one thing I wrote that I will admit gets really horrible, probably deserved reviews, and that's okay. Um, you know, we didn't think we were making, you know, anything. But what was funny was I got paid more for the script than we were originally planning for the whole movie to be made for. Oh, so wow. it ended up selling. It was still a low budget movie. It got made for fifty thousand dollars. Had some interesting people in it. It had um, Stephen Adler's in it. I did not write his scene because, um, again, I'm a little embarrassed of his scene. Um, but I did not write that um, that scene. Uh, Jerry Marin, that little dwarf guy that was in like Wizard of Oz and a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Felissa Rose from Sleepover Camps in it. Um, God, I can't remember half the people in it. There's a lot of people in it. Um, it was a fun movie, you know. But what I do remember, two stories about that real quick. I go to the video store. At, at family video there in Parsons, the day it's supposed to come out, they had like 10 copies, which is weird as hell. Right. And nobody knows that this guy from Parsons wrote it. And <laughs> it doesn't matter, but I go in cause I just want, I hadn't seen it yet. I just want to see what the hell it looks like. So I go in as soon as they open and I beeline over to get it. And the lady that was working says, so all these really big movies came out this week. Why did you beeline directly to that? And I thought that was really funny. And she like, she was like really excited when I told her about it. And and I was goofily excited. I'm not gonna lie. Right. She had like zombie shoes she wanted to show me, and so she wanted me to take a picture with her. And it's funny. Years later, she sends me a message for I don't even know where she lives. And she's like, "Do you remember me? I took this picture with the zombie shoes." So that was the first story. And the other one was, I have a friend, and you probably know him too, Armando Johnson. Um, he, uh, was a basketball coach in L at LCC at one time, I think went girls basketball coach. What's funny. He didn't know that I'd written that movie and we were Facebook friends. And he says, he posts, I was at the video store and they have a movie called Dahmer versus Gacy. And I think it is so appalling that they would make light of these things and who would write this? And I was like, uh, I wrote it and he thought it was a joke, but it was like, it was totally me. And. So I don't know. It was just cool to have a movie that was out there at a lot of video stores. I mean, I didn't make much out of it at all, but right. it was just cool, you know. Well, hell yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but I'm a little embarrassed of it now in, in some ways, but I'm also proud of it. I don't know. It's one of those things. Yeah. It's like some of your kids sometimes. You're yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's probably it's, how my parents feel about me. Sometimes we're proud. Sometimes we're embarrassed. <laughs> you know, I listen, I've, I've started listening to uh, last podcast on the left. Oh, yeah? Have you ever listened? I haven't heard that. Uh, Is it a film podcast? 
No, not really. I um, like the reference, though. Yeah, it's... Uh, Marcy listens to that. Yeah, oh, man. It's it's just three guys, and they talk uh, They talk conspiracies. They talk uh, alien abductions, um, serial killers. Uh, right now, I'm on uh, Nazis in the Occult. That stuff's um, interesting. Yes, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. They're three comedians. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know... And, and and it goes back, it started where I picked up on it was in 2012. And what I've told them every time I talk about it is like, it was a different time then. Right. You know, some of the shit they say, oh, oh my God, this is, this is like me so, without a filter. Right. Yeah. When uh. you mentioned the Nazis versus the, or the Nazis and the occult, I have a novel. It got put out by a comic book company called Source Point Press. So it's had like less people have probably seen it than, than any of my other novels, but it's a good novel. It's, um, I had this idea and it's universal monsters, basically. Although we went with the, we didn't have the rights to universal monsters, but I mean, Dracula's in public domain, Frankenstein's in public domain. We used a generic werewolf. So anyway, we had this, the, the United States puts together this, organizes this group of monsters to fight Nazis in World War II, because the Nazis are using the occult to try to win World War II. So the United States is going to try to, you know, match that. And you end up with like. The Nazis have a golem, and there's just all kinds of crazy shit goes on in that. And that one's called M Company. It was supposed to be a series, so it's like M Company N, and the, it was M Company N, the Axis of Evil, which was, <laughs> and I wrote that with um, a guy named David Hayes, who wrote, uh, there's a low-budget movie and a comic book called Rotten Tail, and he was the guy that wrote that. Pretty cool writer, but anyway, so just throw awesome. that out there, but, so I write about all kinds of fucking yeah. wild yeah, shit, yeah. you know? <laughs> that reminds me of uh, Rob Zombie's trailer um, in the middle of uh, Grindhouse. Grindhouse, yeah. Yeah, Werewolf Women of the SS. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it was great. They had these fake trailers in between those. So what's going on with Rob Zombie? I With his movies, man, because it's like... They're just steadily going They're just further steadily further going further, further downhill. downhill. Yeah. I, although I have to say, I didn't love House of a Thousand Corpses like everybody else did, but Devil's Rejects I fucking loved. Yeah. I went and yeah, saw yeah. it multiple times. Loved it. Loved the gritty 70s feel to yes. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I haven't really liked any of them that much since. I, I, I have always loved the back half of House of a Thousand Corpses. Right, I get Because the first, the first, right, part, right, of, right. first but, part of it's really campy. Yeah. And then it's just like... Flips a switch and it's dark. I get where he was going with that. I think he was just trying to do like a sideshow type. Yeah, like yeah. it just looks side a little show, cheap to me. Show, yeah, well, first yeah. One, but yeah, first one. But, but yeah. the new one, the sequel, like the the third part was it's really terrible. bad. Like from hell is that the name? Yeah, of Yeah, three, three from hell. Three yeah. from hell, and yeah. I was so excited about it, and I think I watched twenty minutes of it. I had to turn it off. I watched it all mm-hmm. just just because I want. So you know, Sid Haig dying. Oh, I loved Sid Haig. Ruined. I, I honestly, after watching all of it, I don't think him dying ruined. Right. It. Because if that was the, the story, you know, you could easily replace uh, what's his name um, and put Sid Haig back right, in right. there. But it's just, it wasn't a good movie. I mean, I just don't. Yeah. And you the, know, and I didn't the, really like ended. his Halloween movies either, frankly. I, but I, I dig his heart, you know, that he, yeah. I like his ideas. I mean, that he wants to do these things. I dig where his heart and his mind are, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. I, I, I liked the, um, well, let me back up. I did not like the first Halloween, the remake. Right. I didn't, I did. I thought him uh, making Michael Myers come from a white trash family, just horribly cliche. Um, 
when he wanted to put his, you know, white yeah. trash, folksy kind yeah. of shit that he likes to put in movies in there, yeah. he tried to integrate these two things together that don't necessarily yeah. fit together. And- well, and Michael Myers was too old. I mean, that was one of the creepiest things about the first one. You know, he, I mean, he looked like he was four or five years old um, and from a, a nice family. Um, I thought the second one had some interesting ideas. Right. I, I thought it was better than the first one. I just hated the cameos every two minutes, too. That's very distracting, yeah. but... Well, and he continually uses the same character. He does and so that I, I didn't mind for a long time when he used Sherry Moon Zombie. I'm less excited about her now that, you know... Yeah, well, he's always going to use he's her. He's always going to use yeah. her, and I mean, that's fine. I'd use her, too, if I could, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. What was the Lords of Salem? I, I don't like witch movies. Right, I don't either. I, but I will say that that was probably the most beautifully shot movie he's ever done no it did it did i mean good. the designs and everything were I mean, and just like that freaking hallway it was almost a, a riff on uh the shining it was just right, uncomfortable right. to look at but it's just that old world victorian horrible carpet and right. wallpaper and i don't know that was uh I've watched that movie twice because I want to like it because right. it looks so good. And it just, it doesn't. There are some movies you want to like and you keep watching them and they just don't improve. No. And don't. you know what's one movie that I can't bring myself to love? I get the things that some people do love about Midsummer, but I just can't quite get there. I've seen it a couple of times and there are things I dig about it. Yeah. And I realize it's kind of a slow burn. Well, it's more than a slow burn. It's yeah. two and a half hours to get to anything actually happening. But right. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know. It's kind of boring too. I don't yeah. know. I don't know which uh, which movies and cult movies. I just. I will say uh, there was one. Oh, what was that one? Um, guy that directed uh, House of the Devil, Ty West. Oh, he Ty did, West. I like he, him. He did another one that was uh, that was basically about a cult, and it was a very Jim Jones ish kind of cult. What was and that? And that that one was really uncomfortable weirdly enough mm. i'm not sure if i ever ended up watching that i think yeah. it was when i was sick and it kind of slipped by yeah. i really liked ty west when at yeah. first um I, even his western i didn't love love it was okay yeah i don't know um, but his first couple movies i liked a lot the uh and, and then riffing on that like uh red state yeah by red Kevin state, Smith. Yeah, that was I, really good i loved red state yeah it got a bad rap but well and you know you label something like that a horror movie and i you know, people well, call Jaws a horror movie. I was going to say, I, yeah. where do you draw the line? I was yeah. going to bring up Jaws, exactly. Yeah. Jaws, Alien. Um, I get where they're coming from, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I've watched them since I was a kid. I don't feel like they're horror movies. Well, see, we did- There are horrible things in there. Oh, there are. Yeah. Well, there are scary things in yeah. a way, you know? Yeah. I mean, if it affects the way that you go and get in the, the ocean for the rest of your life, yeah. maybe, but- yeah. And it, I mean, I think it does, but I know what you're saying. We had this dilemma. I did a book with four other writers called- the 101 scariest movies of all time. And, and it was really came down to a debate of what do you include? What do you not, you know? And, mm-hmm. and Jaws was definitely one of them that we ended, or like silence of the lambs. There are scary moments in silence. Like, like when she's in the dark and he's looking yeah. at her through that, you know, ultra, but I don't know that you would really call them horror. But then I think if you leave them out, you're going to have people. Be- that yeah. was a no win. We just knew that people were going to yeah. bitch about yeah, those. I, I feel you, like those are where right. you rate them. I feel like no matter where you rated things, people yeah. were going to bitch. So that was kind of why we put it out. Was just to cause a. I tend to think of those as more like thrillers. I do too. Yeah, yeah. suspense. Yeah. yeah, and I miss that. I yeah. actually, I, I appreciate that more than I do the gore. But yes, even, but even too. Psycho. I mean, could be more of a thriller. You know, if you, yeah, it's sure. really weird. Like, where do you draw the line? It's interesting. You yeah. know. 
Mm. The uh, honestly, Jaws, you know, The Shallows, which was good. Yeah. All those shark movies don't bother me with the ocean. The, mm-hmm. the movie that scares me with the ocean is The Perfect Storm. Right, right. You're never going to get me out on a fishing trawler. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. I don't know. I, th- I think sharks are scary as shit. No, I do too. Well, yeah, the yeah. idea of being eaten in yeah. little people. Well, that's why zombies are scary. Yeah. Even though, you know, we know they're bullshit. That was the, like, my and that's stepson. worse because that's like dull teeth. Right. Are you, yeah. And knowing my luck, I get chewed up by a fucking meth head and she's got one right. tooth. And- <laughs> but my kid asked me, well, why? what's scary about zombies? But you know, that since they've grown up, that's been around the whole right, time. Right. When we were yeah. kids, you know, and I mean, you look younger than me. You look, I don't know how old you guys are, but uh, you know what? When I was a kid, there weren't that many zombie movies. You know, there was like, there was the Romero movies. There was mm-hmm. sometimes I'd go into VHS, you know, and get some like the Italian stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and there'd be a few of those, but I mean, you know, or, um, Oh, return of the living dead. I like a lot, even That's though it's kind of comedy. It's, it's, creepy and shit yeah. in places it's it's one of the few really gory movies that i've always loved um but you know i think that's why it's scary in the same way that jaws yeah. is scary is that it's the idea of being eaten by something and you're yes. still half alive while it's eating the rest of you yeah, yeah. you're feeling and being digested bite. just oh. and you know you're just going to be digested in somebody's shit basically yeah <laughs> although if yeah. zombies don't shit see i've never thought yeah. of this do mm. zombies shit because i don't think they do but then where do all those bodies go in the brains that they eat well and if blood's not flowing how do they i mean how do they swallow the muscles shouldn't even be working you know what i mean there we go <laughs> There's a lot of holes in the whole zombie thing in yeah, there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah, Danny Boyle fixed that with with 28 oh. days later. I like now, they're when, not when the dead. fast zombie stuff well, happened. And, and that was like a kind of a dead. game changer. You know, and I'm going to say it. I think that um, Walking Dead's kind of ruined zombies. Like it was cool yeah. for a couple seasons, but having zombies around just nonstop all the time, and then you had all these ripoffs, and it was yeah. just zombies everywhere to the point where I've committed. I have to finish it. You have to finish have now. To finish. Zombies <laughs> are just. It's not even about zombies, really. It's about how about people. The relationships yeah, the relationships. It's like zombies are kind of the backdrop. You but they've know? just yeah. become so normalized. Yes. you know, that we just and, don't care anymore. And see, I see, I bailed Check after they zombies. Hmm. Yeah. Stab him in the head. Well, yeah, I wish right. I'd waited because I hated Carl, next. and I kept hoping, please let Carl die. <laughs> and, and then I missed it, you know. Yeah. And look, sorry, yeah. spoiler guys. I hated Carl, and then I thought that Carl started to develop into a really cool character. Oh, really? See, I didn't I get thought, that far. Yeah, I thought yeah. so. I quit watching it. I haven't seen probably the last. I quit few seasons. I, quit. I haven't either. I quit after yeah. they introduced Negan. But Negan was fun. I it was. Yeah, no, but it, uh, but, I think it's telling of the show when you root more for Negan than the fucking characters that we're supposed to root for. The, the, I'm rooting for them to die in a way. The the way. So so I hit Lord. I hit that that season the cliffhanger right and all you hear is the bat swinging and you hear the mush yeah. you know and uh, then I, then I watched that first episode and he killed both of them right. and I'm like okay one they were both kind of foreshadowed. Mm-hmm. In the season before, and you know, right? The, the the what pissed me off is, man. What would have been awesome is that everybody expected it to be Glenn. Of course, yes. it was, but they had yeah. Abraham too. They should have. I think killed. everyone was expecting Glenn and hoping it would be Abraham. All right. At least I was. <laughs> well, I mean, because uh, what's her name took the arrow through the head, which was Abraham in the comics. Yeah. Um, but they should have shown Abraham getting smashed at the end of that season. 
And everybody's like, oh, right. whoa, you know, it was Abraham. Yeah. And then they immediately come back at the first of the next season, and he walks over and kills right. Glenn. That would have been fucking huge. Yeah. See, to Doing me, them two back to back, it just felt like... Yeah. I watched more, a little bit more after, but the, where they lost me was when, really lost me mentally, was when the whole thing where Glenn should have died the first time. Okay? And it's not that I didn't like Glenn... But, I mean, it was mm-hmm. such a bullshit cop-out that he's <laughs> yeah. under dumpster. a dumpster for, like, a long time. Like, was it a week? Yeah. And he doesn't eat or drink anything? He's under this dumpster and to the point where the zombies just get bored and leave. Yeah, okay, that was and that bullshit. Like, I'm sorry, but I, look. That was the beginning of the end for me, too. Honestly. I probably grew up on the same comic books you guys did. But I feel like, and, and I feel the same way in the comic book movies. In anything, if you're going to invest, you're going to get me invested in a character and you kill them. And then they come back later. Fuck you, I'm out. You know what I mean? Unless yeah. it's Jason or something that Yeah, yeah whatever, you bring him back. Right, yeah. You know, but if it's like okay, and again, you know, like you know, there were a lot of people that didn't know the storyline of um the Marvel movie. What was that? Where they you know, where they all die or they turn into dust or whatever. And oh, everybody's yeah, yeah. crying and shit, and it's like, I think you're gonna bring them all back. I mean, well, yeah, they just killed all yeah. the new characters. You know, <laughs> like that's that was one thing that kind of yeah, I was like, man, at least Take out a couple of the originals. You know? Although Spider-Man, right. they took out Spider-Man. I mean, yeah. we, but we knew he was going to come back. They're not getting rid of Spider-Man. Yeah, he's fucking Spider-Man. Yeah. He's fucking Spider-Man. That was, a, that was a sad scene, though. I don't give a fuck where yeah. he's... Yeah. I tell you what, I was not expecting... Um, I was not expecting Black Widow to go in Endgame. Right. That was huge for me. But now she's got her own movie coming out. It's a prequel, I'm yeah, sure. It's but it is, yeah. But you know what? Scarlett Johansson. I'm down for... Uh, and she owned that role, man. I mean, she, you know, she, she is, she is black widow to me now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, I like me some scar Joe. Right. <laughs> I have to admit, I was very sad about Chadwick Boseman because he was so young and so, yeah, you know, no, and here was a guy shit. that was a hero to so many people and represented something different for a lot of people. Yes, yeah, and he yeah. came out and nobody basically knew he was sick, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think it was stunning. We think, you know, I think of 43 as young, but it's not like, you know, Somebody that's 25 or, you know, because yesterday was the anniversary or yesterday was Amy Winehouse's birthday, you mm-hmm. know? And I think, you know, she was really young when she 27? died. 27? But I'm not sure what else she was because she would have uh, yeah, been 37 think, yesterday. I think, uh, yeah, I think she, I yesterday think it was, was 27. I think it was the, the 27 curse, you know, James Oh, it was, Joplin wasn't it? Because there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Jimi yeah. Hendrix, Mama Cass. I don't know. So I'm trying not to be one of those, you know? <laughs> one of them that like the, just the five of us will know, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I keep taking it back. It's all my mind does, man. That's yeah. why how I write all these books about people getting killed is because that's I'm one of those people. That's all I think about. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, I'm not only do you have to have something that motivates you, like a carrot that you're reaching for, but that stick behind you, that fear of death. It's I mean, both in a yeah, way. Yeah. Bo- yeah. I mean, running to something, you'll run pretty fast. But if you're running from something, you're going to run a little harder too. It's like right, right. both those things together. Um. The psychology of it, I think I find that stuff pretty interesting. So we were talking about horror. Here's the thing. Uh, I did write a book with Herschel Gordon Lewis, you know, who was considered the godfather of gore. He was the the originator of the gore movie in the United States. And there was, uh, there were a couple of Italian movies that preceded him, I think. But, um, but you know, because there was a time when even, you know, a lot of Westerns, you'd see people get shot or something or horror movies where there was really no blood. None. And he yeah. was the first one to bring out guts, you know, and. He did, uh, you know, the original, you know, um, 2000 Maniacs and-, and Oh, I uh, love that movie. Yeah, you I know, love that movie. He was a cool guy and it was cool to do that book. I mean, they, they weren't really movies, I have to admit, that I loved. 
But oh, it was a cool I, opportunity, okay. man. I like yeah. 2000 Maniacs. That's the one that I really do like, you know. Um, yeah. But that was pretty cool, you know, and then he passed on. Well, the funny thing is the two people I've worked on memoirs with, I'm working on a third one now. But the two people I worked on previously, I worked on a book with Gary Graver, who was, um, he's a neat guy. I'm working on a biography of him now. He passed away. He uh, was Orson Welles' cinematographer in the last 20 years of his life, 15 years of his life. He was also a director and he directed 200 porno films under a pseudonym. This guy was wow. had the weirdest, wildest career. He did movies with Steven Spielberg. You had all these great people, John Cassavetti, Steven Spielberg, Orson Welles. And then on the other end, <laughs> he directed a movie that was written by Ed Wood, who I did a book on Ed Wood also. Um, he did all of the Al Adamson movies, which, uh, you know, all of these really good and then really bad. And then in the middle porn, it's insane. <laughs> so I'm working on a biography of him now, but I was going to say the the two people I've worked on memoirs like died. So now I'm working on a memoir with this actress, Erica Gavin, who was in some Russ Meyer, uh, kind of TNA movies, mm -hmm. you know, back in the late sixties, early seventies. And, um, so hopefully we can break the curse with her. She yeah. won't, she won't. I'm not, hope I'm not uh, causing to, her to die off. You're going to have to sign a waiver or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> We've been working on that book for five years and it's still going. Yeah. But we're going to get there one of these days. <laughs> one of us is going to die or it's going to, I don't know, something's yeah, yeah. going to happen, but eventually we're going to get there. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I read, I think that you are going to be working on some graphic novels. Is that is That, that has true? been slow coming. Uh, there's one. Uh, I've been working with that guy, David Hayes, I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. He works with a company called Source Point Press. They do some neat stuff. Uh, I co-wrote one with him that still has not come out yet called Union Corpse. It's supposed to be like Union Corps, but it's corpse. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's basically zombies in the Civil War. Um, that one we wrote two years great, ago. Actually. We wrote that two years ago and it's still not come out. And then there's another one we're supposed to be working on. It's like a six-part one. Uh, I don't really know. We came up with the concept. He's off writing it now, I think, but, um, it was about, uh, serial killers trying to get out of hell and, uh, another hell story there. And oh, it was okay. kind of like Dahmer versus Gacy. It was like the, the two ideas put together, I guess the in hell and the Dahmer versus Gacy thing. Um, so that's it for the moment, you know, as far as that, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of thought that was going to be a bigger, quicker thing and it just hasn't really happened that way, but you know. Yeah. So there's well. one more thing. I got a novelization coming out next month. This is a thing oh. I've never done. Uh, the old movie Carnival of Souls, uh, mm -hmm. which was shot a lot of it in Lawrence, uh, you know, came out in what, 1961, I believe, uh, an old horror movie in black and white. I got a contract to write a novel based on that. And I'd seen the movie and I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but what's, it was the hardest fucking thing ever to write a novel on because the movie is basically dependent on like, there's no character motivations. There's no, it all comes down to this big hook at the end. And if anybody's seen it, they'll know what I'm talking about. But because of that, we can't have any character motivations. <laughs> so, uh, and it's, it's dependent. It's creepiness. It is creepy, but it's dependent on being in black and white with really creepy music and scary face. Like there's this scary dead man's face. We keep seeing, well, those things don't translate at all to writing. Yeah. So I had to figure out how to write this story without changing it dramatically, but still making it, it was a hell of a task. It's coming out next month for Halloween. Hmm. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah, man, that was a thing. I, 
I don't know if I'm ever going to do one of those again. But, <laughs> but hey, it was a thing I can mark off the list. I did it. Watch yeah. the movie before you say okay. <laughs> right, right. Well, I had seen it, but it, I just didn't think about it. I was like, well, that's a pretty cool movie without thinking of what right. exactly that was going to entail. <laughs> that's awesome to push yourself and challenge yourself that way, though. That, it well, it was. I mean, I I'm think, sure it's hard. It, I'm sure it's hard and not all fun and games, but. Yeah, it's because yeah. sometimes it, it is easy to slide into the things. This is what I do best. This is what I know I can do. And just wanting to, because mm-hmm. this one I'm working on now that takes place in hell, I, I'd i been thinking about it for a couple of years and it just seemed hard. And so I kind of put off doing it, but finally the pieces just slid into place. Hopefully it turns out as good as I think it's going. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I love the concept of it. Yeah. And it's going to be a series. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I, I thought about and forgot to ask you as we've been talking is, are any of your writings right now, are they connected in any way? Uh, well, a few of them are connected. Uh, my first novel is called The Suicide Game. But what was funny was it was sort of like a Pulp Fiction or Crash or something like that, or a Robert Altman movie where you had different characters with different lives and then they all intersect. Mm-hmm. And so you had these crazy crazy characters like, you know, there's somebody that's a, a gay porn uh, or a gay phone sex operator. There's a guy that's a priest. There's a guy that's a black hitman. There's God. It's that was, was like ten years ago. I'm trying to think of who all the carry. That's horrible, isn't it? Like I can't even remember. My memory's no. bad. Part of it's all the anesthesia over and over from all the surgeries. <laughs> but anyway, it's probably writing over forty books. That's a lot of characters to keep yeah, track right. of. My God. Well, only about ten of them are fiction, and the rest are all nonfiction. So that's mm. a little. But anyway, um, so one of the characters ends up in Layla's score. And then Layla's, but it's not really a, I don't know. It's kind of a prequel, I guess. And then Layla's score is eventually going to be a series of three, just like this other one I'm working on. The thing is, it's hard to jump right from one thing back into the exact same characters for me, because sometimes right. I want to go yeah. do other things, Right. you know? So mm-hmm. do you, uh, do you uh, move away from, from a story when it, when it gets cold and, and pick up on something else or? It's hard for me to go back to a thing when it gets cold, you know, like. I've got a book. I'm trying to get another writer that I really like to help me finish it for him to come on, kind of breathe some life into it. I wrote half a novel at the beginning of last year. It was a modern update of Macbeth. And it was really fun, but for whatever reason, I got pulled away. It was actually until one of us's dad pulled me away. I had this idea and I thought, I have to do this. And and it's been so hard to go back to it. So I've got half a novel that I feel like is really, really good, but it's just sitting there and mm. uh, I can't seem to get my in- interest back into it. Yeah. Um, but I do, when I work on seven or eight projects, like a lot of these are nonfiction. So I slide back and forth. So if there's a day I don't feel like working on this, I work on that. But as a result, a lot of these projects take fucking forever. So I've been working on a book about Joe Lansdale for years. He's getting impatient, I know, and I don't blame him. Um, I've got a book on Elmer Leonard that I'm working on. I've got that biography of Gary Graver. I've got a book that I've done very little work on about all the I Am Legend incarnations. Um God, I don't know. I I even lose track. There's there's a lot, but so I don't know. <laughs> I'm the only one talking. I'm sorry. No, no, man. I love it. Everybody's like starting to space. He's out. got a short in his headphones. Uh, he's trying to work penis. it out. What I find I find it re- <laughs> really inspiring. Um, t- to me, like I, I I tend to get really focused. and I want to do one thing and finish it, and I get like really single track minded about stuff. Right, right. And so like you're doing so much and at such a high level. And it, it, uh, I think that's amazing. It's really, 
I wish, I wish I didn't do it that way though, because it's it drives me insane. Yeah, it, it <laughs> no, makes me feel like we got to up our game. Like, dude, I know, dude, dude I, he, I mean, he makes all the things I do no, make I mean, me feel lazy. No, but you know, it's not by choice. It's just Matt's kind of has the same mindset as you. I think. I mean, <laughs> even though the the bipolar is medicated, that is a thing. I think it, especially when I do go through a manic period, I don't get them very often because of the medication. Mm-hmm. But when I do, it manifests itself in a different way. It manifests itself in me taking on more projects which is great initially, mm, but then yeah. later on you're like, Oh fuck, I've got right. a bunch more, more projects now that I've signed on to do. And <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I, I have, uh, I'm dealing with it well now, but I've had anxiety disorders and I've had manic periods like right. that. So I, I, I can relate to that. I, I get what you're saying. I've been getting, I never had just straight up anxiety until I got older. And I don't know why Like I take fucking Valium all the time. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I might go a day or two with no Valium, and then I have to take like three of those motherfuckers because I just feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin. Right. I got to say, and this might be a generalized statement, but like I think as we age, we become more self-aware. I think that's true. And yeah. some oh, of definitely. us Because like I, I'm thinking about when I was younger, I'm like, I don't know. Recently, I you know I had to go, I flew overseas to Germany. Oh, and that's I had, awesome. I didn't know. I had crazy anxiety over that. I just was thinking all the worst. How, how was that uh, Nazi reunion? very good time. We have ways of making you talk. Munich I kid, I beautiful. kid. This uh, is how we say goodbye in Germany. That's a whole other story for. I hear time. nothing. I see nothing. Anyway, it was just a tourist thing. So, but uh, staying on track, right? Like, I, you know, I was thinking all the worst. What if? What if I die in a fucking fiery plane crash? Like, you know, my kids and my wife like in the ocean. Left. Yes, no. and like, or what if I'm even worse? Like, I don't die and I'm just left in the middle of the ocean, floating on some sort of fucking raft or something right. some so then of- a shark could come and get you in shark bait <laughs> <laughs> you can drown and get eaten alive at the same time think about jaws and that's a long flight yeah i stopped oh, yeah. i spent i spent a couple hours in a what do you call it um oh shit in a, a hangar in germany because i went to egypt in the military and we stopped off in germany on the way and we couldn't leave the fucking hangar so i get to say i went to germany but i didn't see shit <laughs> but the inside of hangar then when we came back we stopped in like sicily and I didn't get to see any of that either. It's yeah. a fucking hanger. So it's like, well, I was, I was uh, in Germany once. You can, you know, you can make it sound good. But they, did they at least bring you some good beer or something? Didn't bring us shit. Fuck. This episode of Off the Edge is brought to you by thebeardstruggle.com. The struggle is real, folks. Thebeardstruggle.com has the Viking-inspired beard care products you're looking for. A variety of accessories are available. Trimming kits, war bags, heated beard brushes, rings and beads, the list goes on. They have balms, oils, and cleansers that tame your bristly countenance in scents that can accent your vibe. Choose Viking Honor for a suave, intoxicating effect. Maybe down-to-earth and spirited is more your style. Go with Viking Storm with sandalwood undertones. Perhaps you'd like to go the minimalist route. No problem with unscented Loki. TheBeardStruggle.com uses 100% natural ingredients that have proven effective for centuries, and you can rest assured that their formulas are never tested on animals. They even give you peace of mind by promising a 90-day money-back guarantee and providing free ground shipping in the U.S. or affordable flat-rate shipping worldwide. Right now, you can get your beard game up to Viking standards with a 15% discount by using the promo code off the edge 15 that's all one word off the edge 15 it's a great way to support this podcast and get your beard noticed by all those sexy shield maidens 
Just go to thebeardstruggle.com and use promo code OFFTHEEDGE15, thebeardstruggle.com. The struggle is real, but you can face it like a Viking. Do you love live music but hate the ringing in your ears for days after? Have you tried earplugs only to hear music like this? Then now is the time to get some Eargasm earplugs. With their specially designed sonic filters, you'll be able to enjoy high-fidelity sound just at a lower volume. Save your hearing and order some Eargasm earplugs at EargasmEarplugs.com and use promo code HIGHFIDELITY, all caps, H-I-G-H, space, F-I-D-E-L-I-T-Y, high fidelity. Save money, support the podcast, save your hearing. EargasmEarplugs.com you know, if if I'm on a plane over an hour and a half, then I start to get really fucking anxious. I don't like flying. Mm. I, I do it, but I don't like it. Um, and I haven't, I haven't ever had to go any longer than two hours. So, well, I, if, if if I went overseas, which I'm fully willing to do, right, I'm going to be medicated. It, well, I was drunk the whole fucking flight yeah. on yeah. the way there and back, and it was absolutely fucking miserable. <laughs> I remember I flew from Kansas City to uh, Baltimore when uh, when I graduated. This friend of mine, his dad lived out there and bought him a car, so we flew out there to get the car and drive back. And uh, you know, just graduated eighteen. You know, it's so like, hey, can we get you anything? Yeah, I'll have a Bud Light. They served me right. on the plane. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up having two, and I was happy when I landed. <laughs> You know, the, the shitty, I've been on a lot of planes, but the, the shittiest experience I ever had, I was never scared until this one. And now I always think about it um, whenever I get on a plane. But um, I don't know if you ever saw me, Daryl, but when I had that LVAD, I had this machine called an LVAD and uh, what it, it was when I was waiting for the transplant and they didn't have this device up until like, say 13 years ago. So at any other point in my life if, or any other time in history, I'd be dead. Mm-hmm. So it kept me alive to get to the transplant. So it's a machine that hangs in a bag on the outside of my body. It has batteries in it and it has a little machine. And then there's a cord that goes out that went into my belly, goes up and hooks to a machine in my heart. Mm, and it wow. kept the left side of my heart beating. Okay. So this is, is sh- way shittier even than it sounds. Because like if you are, so you have to always have backup batteries because if the batteries die, pretty much you die. Mm, and yeah. you have to plug into a wall at nighttime, like a fucking, I don't know. You're always tethered to this thing. Like when I went to the city, I'd be afraid if like somebody was going to try to kind of purse snatch me. Cause if they do, it's going to pull on your heart. It's going to hurt you really oh, bad. Mm, it's going to yeah. fucking kill you. <laughs> so I was on this plane. There's a story there. And you have to go through all this shit at yeah. customs to get on the plane. Right? right. Cause they don't know what this thing is. And they're like, let us take the bag and check it. And I'm like, I can't cause it's connected to my body. So obviously in the bigger cities, they, uh, they knew what it was. They'd seen it, mm-hmm. but Joplin, Missouri airport <laughs> where there's like five guys working there. They didn't know. And there's a funny thing there. There's a guy when I was waiting to get on the airplane, there's a guy that's like, what is that? And I'm telling him and he's like, oh, you're going to fucking die soon. Well, we got a and I was like, bomb. There's a bomb. <laughs> but there's just a guy in the lobby and he's like, oh man, that means you're going to be dead soon. Bummer. And I'm like, fuck. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck this guy. So we get on the plane. <laughs> Guess who sits right next to me? This guy. Uh, so anyway, when I, I ended up, where was I at? I was like fucking Seattle or somewhere flying into, I don't remember where the hell I was in some Dallas, maybe flying into Chicago and I had to bounce all over. And, uh, they put me on this plane, but they had a special section for me because I had the medical thing. There right. was in this plane, there was this section in the middle 
Um, I guess up front was the, you know, the, the, the rich people section mm. in the back was the me section generally, but in the middle, they had this area where the stewardesses would sit or whatever, fuck around their little kitchen area was there. So they had me sit there by the window. Well, this is great, but we get into this turbulence and it's bouncing all around and shit. So I say, can I, and the, the nurses or the, not the nurses, the stewardesses all sit down and they're strapping in next to me. One of them's crying. I oh fucking shit God. you not. This plane's flopping around. And they said, the this other uh, stewardess tells me, well, she's fairly new. She doesn't know any better. <laughs> and so I'm looking over and I'm looking out the window and there's lightning and shit. It's freaking me out. And it almost makes you think of, you know, that Twilight Zone. John, yeah. 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 <laughs> like John Lithgow or the William yeah. Shatner on the plane. one. You know, something on the plane. So I said, well, can I close this window? And she's, and the, the lady says, well, no, we have to keep that open so we can see if lightning hits the the uh, fucking propeller or whatever. and The engine. Yeah. The engine. And oh. I was just sitting there, and I just knew I was going to die. And I don't remember what it was, but there was a little TV right in front of me where we were sitting, and it had, like, some really shitty 80s sitcom on it. I don't remember what it was, and I just, maybe, I'm sorry if this offends people, but I think it might have been Friends. I don't know. It was just something <laughs> I didn't want to see as I died. And I thought, this is going to be the last fucking thing I see as I die. I maybe need to rerun a Cheers, man. I'm going oh, out. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. I just remember thinking it was fucking Alf. corny. Maybe it wasn't even 80s. I don't, I was just scared. I was scared yeah, to death. Jesus. But I survived. So. <laughs> I, uh, one of my, one of my first uh, plane rides, we were coming back from Florida and we, we landed in Atlanta to meet our connecting flight. Well, we landed in Atlanta in a thunderstorm oh. and this was back when you know you had the like the what are they the the 737s you know, mm. they had the, the actual middle row right you know that they don't have anymore we're in sardine cans right, right. now um so anyway we hit the hit the tarmac and literally the plane starts to fishtail side mm. to side <laughs> that shit i've never wow. forgotten I think that's probably where most of my anxiety comes from. That would do it. That, <laughs> that do it. and you know, now you know you feel like you're stuffed in a. Uh, you feel like you're stuffed in a tall boy. The know, only time I've wings. had a bad experience in a plane is um, as a kid. One time, I was flying from Colorado to Los Angeles, and we were coming down to land, and uh, you know, like the altitude, like my ears wouldn't pop. And it just like the pressure just built right. and built and built. And I was just like, ah, you know, it was like horrible. Mm. And it's like, I don't know. Finally got over it. But blow it out, just, blow it out, blow it out. Yeah, it was weird. The first plane I ever flew on, Roy Williams, who used to be the KU basketball coach. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, oh, yeah, and he coached several places. But he was on the plane and I was going to the, I was going to basic training. And, and so I'm 18, or actually, yeah, I'm 18 and I'm on this plane and, I had a KU shirt on. And so Roy Williams sees me and he's just like, fuck. I could tell. He's just like, fuck. And he puts his head down. But I'm 18. I'm like, I'm going to bother the fuck out of Roy Williams. So what's funny, he sits down and like he was up, I think, where the fuck were we? Was I sitting up ahead of him first? I can't remember. But I go back and I sit next to him. Now I know he had an empty seat. I guarantee you he had an empty seat, but he didn't bitch about it. If it was me, I'd have bitched about it. So I just sat there and asked him KU questions for like the whole flight. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little embarrassing, but well, yeah. and Jan Stenerud, who was the kicker for the Chiefs, was on that same flight. I have no idea. I don't think they were related, going to the same place, but they were both on there. But Jan Stenerud goes by and he's got his his uh, championship ring on, and I didn't even know who he was at the time. You know, I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't recognize him. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a long fucking time ago, and 
Somebody says, is that? And his wife turns around or his girlfriend or whoever, and she goes, yes, it is. And they just <laughs> walk by. <laughs> she was going to speak for him in third person, you know, for him. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Jan Stinnerud's uh, mythos. <laughs> God. So on the way over, I was I was trying to think of what um, we should talk about, and um, you guys are killing it. And I'm just like, yeah. So when I met Andy, uh, yeah, how did you meet Andy? Long time Tell us ago. the story. Well, let's see here. I don't know if you want to talk about this clearly story. from your acting chops. <laughs> well, I'll talk about anything. I don't. Well, all right. So Andy was kind of legendary actually because uh, he was a musician in town and he made hip hop and rap. And, uh, I did not know this. And there was a there that's was a, not on Wikipedia. There was something of a ri- not? <laughs> there was something of a rivalry between him oh. and another another local um, hip hop artist. And so that was kind this of this little small town. That was the thing. That was hip hop war. Oh, technique, right? Which later became St. Andrew. All right. So uh, it's PK eight mile. Oh, right. Yeah. It kind of was. Oh yeah. <laughs> It'd be what two mile. But <laughs> I, I want to go back. That's the whole to, town. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying, I was thinking of the segueing into this earlier because you were talking about Reservoir Dogs being made on a, a small budget, right? Right. Which made me think of Clerks, which is made on a very small budget. Which makes me think of you because you are the Worked Randall. At the video store. You oh. are the Randall of Parsons, Kansas. <laughs> but who the fuck is your Dante? Right. I don't know. You don't have a Dante. I don't know. There was there so, had to be a Dante. You know the time. what? The guy that plays Dante was almost in Zombie Geddon, by the way. Really? Because it wasn't a SAG movie. He ended up having to turn uh, But he's so I good. don't know. He wasn't even supposed to be there that day. No. But you know what's <laughs> But you know what's funny? When I was working at the this ties in. When I was working at the video store uh with your wife Marcy, uh-huh. there was a guy there named Jared. You remember Jared, the guy with yeah, the Yeah, Jared Neff, yeah. Oh, well, I shouldn't say his name where this story's oh, going, but okay, uh, Jared, whoever. We know Jared oh, Neff. We, uh, <laughs> well, anyway, what's, we can block it out. What's if it's funny really bad. was by this point, you know, like this the other rapper Kool-Aid is his name. He and I were you know, we were starting to get kind of cool and I mean, I begrudgingly liked his music, and now we're cool. But yeah. um, what was funny was, so this Jared guy, I'd never met him before. I didn't know anything about him. I start working at the video store, and and uh, Jared's there, this other guy that works there. And he's like, have you heard Kool-Aid's album, his new one? And I was like, I have. And he's like, what would you think of it? And I said, well, I thought the rhymes were really good. The flows were good. It sounds good. The only thing that sounded like shit to me was the uh, the engineering. <laughs> And Jared says, I engineered it. (laughs) And to this day, I feel fucking horrible about that. I'm sure he would agree now. Probably. Uh, And here's the thing. That that little comment right there probably set him on the path to be as good at recording as he is now. Is he very good? Yeah, he's done some good. He's done some really good. Because I got to tell you, I felt awful about it. It would be like if I, you know. He did the Haymade record. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Because oh, you know, because <laughs> as some no, but I got to say, as some no, and that was a cool record, by the way. But I've got to say, you know, as somebody that creates things, you know, if I'm just having a conversation with somebody and they don't know that I wrote a book and they say, "Oh, that book fucking sucks," I'm gonna feel like shit, and I feel bad. I would never do that to somebody. Yeah, well, no, yeah. it's not. It wasn't malicious. I mean, it's not. Like it wasn't it, meant to be, but yeah. sometimes that's worse. Yeah, because well, it's just because well, well, yeah, that's pure honesty. Yeah. But then again, you know, like it's uh, one of those life moments. But then I like, also have to admit, I don't really know that much about engineering. I don't know what the hell. I, you know what? I, I'm probably talking out my ass. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, uh, and it could have been it's, a tenth generation copy that I was fucking hearing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's and it's all subjective anyway. Yeah, oh, it but is. You know. absolutely. <laughs> that's funny though. 
That's horrible. I started to take those classes um, sometime a few years after Jared had graduated. Oh, yeah. And and I attempted to to make some beats for a few of the local guys. Oh, yeah. And I tried one time, and they are like, Nah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I suck. <laughs> I will. You've heard me brag this before. Though I will say this. So, Chuck D from Public Enemy had me on his had one of my songs on his radio show. It's one of his top ten unsigned artists of 1998. Now, Whoa, I'm, that I'm is be, awesome. I don't. I, yeah, <laughs> I would be like Al Bundy, like a hundred years later, talking about I was a football. You know, <laughs> I did this three touchdowns in the whatever game, and you know, but it, it, that was you know. And and what did I do with that uh, that moment of I quit like it was, and it's a funny story and I, you asked about Eight Mile here's the Eight Mile story so I do I was on an anthology or not an anthology on a compilation mm-hmm. yeah. and Tech Nine was on this compilation there was another guy that had made it pretty big at that time out of uh, Kansas City named Vel Bacardi so anyway they're both on this this CD and we were supposed to go to this record release party. So we go up there. I had no idea they were going to ask me to perform. No idea. So you'll know where this story's going. Mm. So we go in this place and it's this, it's on Troost and it's this little bar. There's probably 500 people in there. And I'm just going to say that this was intimidating because I was like the only white guy in the whole building. And I, I don't mean that in any malicious way, but if you were the only black guy, if you were Charlie Pride and you go into a place and, and it's the first time you've ever performed publicly and there's 500 white people that are rednecks or you're going to be scared. And so I was nervous and I had no idea. And here's the shitty order of how they did it. So the guy comes over and tells me that put it together. He says, you're going to go on and you're going to do this song. And I said, I don't, I'm not ready. I don't want to do it. I don't have the backup. Oh, we'll just play the song under you and you rap over it, which is a shitty way to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, you're going to go on after tech nine. Oh, fuck. This is in oh, Kansas damn. City where Tech Nine is the biggest thing they've ever had. <laughs> right. You know, and it was, and there's a funny story there too, because I run into Tech Nine in the bathroom and we're having a conversation in the bathroom and he gets jumped in the bathroom. And I'm like, I like Tech Nine, but I'm not getting my ass whipped for Tech Nine. And I turned and walked right the fuck out. So anyway, he comes out, he does his set, and, and it's great. And everybody's going ape shit. I get up there. And lock up. Can't remember a fucking word of my oh, song. God this was before damn. the Eight Mile movie. So when the Eight Mile movie come out, and you know he locks up, I totally the related. Flashback, man. <laughs> that is the moment that I quit. Period. Oh, that was shit. it. I said I'm not doing it ever again. Uh, Twenty years later, you know, we made a couple of songs just to, and whatever I had, you know, whatever that was, it was gone. You know. Uh, it, but that's an interesting story. That is a else. crazy fucking story. It's a, really it was is. the scariest moment of my life. The guy that's had a heart transplant is telling you that the scariest moment he ever had was being on stage, <laughs> looking at 500 people, looking back and not knowing a word of his own fucking song. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, we've never had you know, never that's, experienced that. That's well, terrifying. Never been in front of 500 people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That, that's the key differentiator right there. Yeah. Yeah. I just mumble. I do, you know. You know. Nowadays, you to, you totally could have just fucking mumbled through. Oh, you it. could. Yeah, you could mumble. Oh, oh you yeah, could totally. They'd be like, <laughs> you could, but man, I don't uh, know. That was that was crazy. So it was. It always reminded me of that. And you know, and I was in a national magazine. It was a rap magazine called Rap Sheet. I was in that, and I was in Kansas City Star. There was a lot going on. I mean, it, but what was funny was people at home didn't like the shit because. Most of the people at home didn't listen to East Coast rap. They listened to down south or they listened to West Coast. So I would hear this shit, but yet, you know, I had a record deal that fell through. I had a record deal where the company went out of business. I had all of these things that were happening, but nothing at home. 
Right. And I was, mm. which was aggravating, but I kept going. So then it, it always reminds me of that line in Field of Dreams where Burt Lancaster said, you know, that he came so close to his dream that he felt it brush across his face. That's what it felt like. But you know what? I'm a hundred times better a writer than I was a rapper. And I feel like I was okay, yeah. but I'm, this was what I was meant to do. And I may not have had my kids. I've got five kids, you know, two stepkids. So awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm a firm so, believer in everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not necessarily that, it, you know, it's God or, or whatever, but right, you know, right. I think, uh, kind of like, uh, kind of like Donnie Darko. Right. You've got that little, you got that little fucking worm from the abyss. Right. Kind of yeah. guiding, <laughs> you. guiding you <laughs> on your path. You know, it's just intuition, man. Just, yeah. uh, Went to a midnight yeah. screening of Donnie Darko in Tulsa at the at the Circle Cinema, and it was a, one of those midnight shows. And uh, somebody had the full Frank outfit oh. and was sitting in the. And I don't remember why, but he was sitting like behind us. And my wife at the time like nudges me. Like I turned around and looked at him, and it creeped me the fuck out in the dark because <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. the eyes don't blink. You know, it's just looking. And I just and now I think, and if you haven't seen it, you know, how hot must well, I'd seen it, but yeah. how hot must it have been to be in that mask Ugh. the whole movie? But that dude did it. He was like, "Fuck it, I'm a trooper. I'm gonna do it." <laughs> I love Shit. that movie. That movie's a trip. That movie is a trip. Why are you wearing that stupid man suit? Right, and and it made Tears for Fears cool for about five minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a great soundtrack. It did have a cool soundtrack, it and it soundtrack. worked very well with that movie. Very young Seth Rogen as a bully. Oh, I forgot about that. I haven't yeah. seen that movie in years. I watched it a lot back then, but yeah, I'm trying to that, figure it all out, you know. And then Richard Kelly kind of went downhill too because. I saw that Southland Tales that he did after that, and that yeah. was kind of not I, that good. I've never good. been able to get into that. Has I, he ever done anything? What has he done since? He you did. Know? Uh, he did uh, a Scanner Darkly, mm. um, which that, I, that's I, another yeah. weird one. That's, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a and Philip K. Dick thing. Philip K. Anything Dick. Philip K. Dick does is yeah. But I mean, you can. There's been lots of lots of movies that have been adapted from his works that have. I don't know. They, they've probably just you know made him a little more mainstream, and he kind of went straight off the text, but. Scanner Darkly. I, I was excited about it because, you know, it had this animated look. Robert Downey Jr. is in it. You know, it was, this is going to be fucking great. And I'm like, you know, it was just. Actually, that wasn't Richard Kelly, though, was it? Wasn't that the guy from, what's his name, from Austin that did, um, cause he did he did Before Sunrise, Before Sunset. No, I thought it was Richard Kelly. Cause but it seems like his name, Richard Linklater. Linklater, that's right. I interviewed him and. What was interesting when now, I, I now did a he's book, the one that did he Days and Confused. He did Days and Confused. Okay. So uh, I had interviewed him just for a book. Another dick, man. <laughs> what was funny? I did a book one time uh, with fifty film directors in it. Interviews with fifty film directors it was one of supposed to be my first book, and it took forever. I interviewed seventy nine movie directors for it, and then the publisher trimmed it down to fifty. And Kevin Smith was one of the people in it. So Richard Linklater, um, the original Alamo Drafthouse Theater, which is in their old location in Austin, had a early screening of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And so I had made a deal with, it was going to be for the, the, the author photo on the back. It was going to be Richard on one side of me and Kevin Smith on the other. So we go and we meet him at the after party and Richard Linklater just kept putting us off and putting us off and putting us off. And so my buddies, all t- it was like Josh Barnett and Sean Westoff, Get their picture taken with Kevin Smith. I've just got my head in the picture because I think I'm going to get this picture. Well, he ends up Kevin Smith has to leave before Richard Linklater. He will never oh. come and take the fucking photo. <laughs> Nothing against him. He's got shit to do more important than me, but it's like, so I never, I didn't even get 
my fucking picture with Kevin Smith, man. And I'd interviewed him and oh. I'd done all this shit. And uh, what are you going to do? But my head is sideways in a photo somewhere. You know, just, that, he, he's that, that's, a, that's a life lesson, though. Right. I mean, from then on, from now on, you know, take advantage of the thing, you know, you can get. Yeah. Get Lean it right down. then and there. If you can get Lean both of them in. later. Great. Right. Yeah. What? Lean bird in. in the hand. Yeah. Get in. Bird in the fucking hand. That's what that is. Yeah. <laughs> but what was funny was um, we had an argument going, the three of us forever about it's a dorky argument about who would win between Batman and Superman. And so Kevin Smith, you know, is a big comic guy, you know, and he's written a bunch of comics and stuff. So we asked Kevin Smith, you know, and he's like, what was funny was Sean always said Batman. And I mean, I like Batman. Batman's just smart though. Superman could be three miles away and just blow and he would fucking fly off the earth or whatever, you know? So anyway, Kevin Smith is like, well, no one but an idiot would, would pick (laughs) Batman. (laughs) And you know, and he's like, he's like clearly Superman. And so we were able to go. In your face, man. I think. I, th- I think. I think the argument is that everybody that sides with Batman thinks that Superman is going to continue to to be this pure, good Superman, right? You know, and he's going to do everything in his power not to kill Batman, right? You know, but doesn't Batman have the same ethical? conundrum he doesn't want to kill it, it depends people. on what it depends on man. which movie you yeah. Want to yeah. yeah that's yeah. true same with superman if yeah but what's funny in one of my uh when one of my novels um it's called let it kill you it's from the bukowski quote find what you love and let it kill you and it was about a hitman that um his mark is the one it's kind of a basic plot but it goes somewhere completely fucking off the rails but uh he's supposed to kill this woman who's like the daughter of somebody. And anyway, he falls in love with her and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, there's a part where he and her are actually going in to murder all these people. So that kind of gives you an idea where the story goes, but they're going in to murder somebody. And he looks at her and he says, you know, I just had a thought. And she's like, what's that? And he's like, Superman is the shittiest superhero ever. So it's one of those things where they get into this, you know, off the wall conversation <laughs> about, and you know, I realize he is the first, but Superman is a really shitty superhero. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cause he's so generic. And the fact yes. that, you know, the only way you can beat him is this bullshit crypto, you know, crypt, kryptonite, which somehow, even though they find it all the fucking time right. in the comics, it's really hard to find supposed right, to be, right. you know, and it's just, he's too perfect. He's too bland. And the fact that he just changes his hair into the S curl and all of us and puts glasses on, <laughs> or, you know, or takes his glasses off. No one knows, including his lover, who he is, is just nonsense. But I realized for 1927 or whenever, you know, yeah. they made that, that was my ex-wife always says that I would be the guy that couldn't tell that Clark, Clark Kent was Superman. Because no I'm so could. bad with faces. Right. <laughs> but no one could. You, right. you just you wouldn't be alone. You know, it's it's the... But I agree. He's he's like the worst. He's the, the worst. most generic, yeah, shitty... Yeah. He, the, flaws are what make a character, it's in the my opinion. Little little arguments, little little details, little, little things like that that uh, I've always loved about tarantino's writing right right yeah superman in particular you know the end of kill bill volume two and talking about how you know clark kent is the embodiment oh right of of how he sees humanity um you know go ahead no no no, no, you 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 know the best one obviously is well i don't know it's the best but uh you know the uh what uh, like a virgin's about? Oh, I love that in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, Reservoir. Yeah. But the the best dick, 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 yeah, dick. The best part of that scene is that you've got three different things going on. Right. You know, he's talking about a metaphor for big dicks, and fucking Joe's over there counting. Uh, you know, and Joe's talking tra- tra- about all these things, and I got, I got. 
Toby, Toby, Toby Chung going over here with his big dick in my other ear. And uh, yeah, what I was going to say, you said something about the end of Kill Bill. What's interesting, I was talking about those Japanese movies, the uh, baby cart movies. Mm-hmm. So one of those is playing, it's Shogun's Assassin, the mm-hmm. movie that yeah. she watches with the little girl, BB, at yeah. the end of Kill Bill. Yeah. So this is a funny little yeah, tie-in yeah. from an earlier and, part. And, and, of yeah. You know, he, little little bits that that he's got in there. But uh, you know, t- two questions I have. You know, and this is kind of encompassing everything that we've talked about so far. But two questions I have. First one, uh, favorite Tarantino movie doesn't have to be one that he directed. Just Pulp Fiction. Favorite True one Romance is number two, which he did not direct. But they're close. But I, I Pulp Fiction for me is just the one. True but True romance. romance, I love. And True Romance was a big inspiration for the one I told you, Let It Kill You. Yeah. And and look, people people do all the time say, my stories are Tarantino-esque. Yeah. I don't pretend to be as good as Tarantino. But you know what? He and I are doing a different thing, but he's my inspiration. He's sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I when I when I sat down, I, was, I looked and I said, there's no books that are like, that are really like Tarantino. Right. There's not. Yeah, there's Even not. Even since I've been <laughs> doing it, I thought I would find others. I'm just not finding them. Mm-hmm. They're just not there. And- I don't know. It's a niche that, you know, but that dude, I don't give a shit. People can complain about his stuff, whatever they want. I get it. It's cool. But that dude is my spirit animal. I don't give a fuck. And it was, it was an honor to talk to him. And, you know, interviews with him can go either good or really bad. Mm. So I was nervous as fuck, but it was amazing. And then he called me back five minutes later to tell me some more shit. And it was (laughs) great. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what was your other question? Uh, Favorite Stephen King. My fi- books, yeah, Pet Cemetery, and I know that's. I don't think it's his best. I think, even though they talk about all these other things, you know, um, the Dark Tower or um, the Stand as being his masterpiece, I think his masterpiece is it. But I, my favorite is Pet Cemetery. Yeah. I love Pet Cemetery, and I honestly have not loved much of his books. Again, like Polinick, over the last decade or so, mm. maybe fifteen years. There's some occasionally that I like. I tried to read them all. I've written three books about Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you ever got to talk to Stephen King? No, I haven't. I was really close to getting an interview with him in uh, 1989, and then he got hit by that van. He had yeah. that famous accident. Yeah. Uh, I was going to interview him for the director's book. See, I was trying to use... I find that if there's somebody famous and you want to interview them, if you can find a good reason to interview them about something they're not used to talking about, yeah. they, they like the idea of being able to talk about other shit. Yeah. So that was the approach, and... Anyway, that fell through. That didn't yeah. work out. So, anything else? Um, yeah, I think you said you had three questions. Did you lie? No, 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 just two, ah. just the two. Um, but I'll add a third. Have you have you read or listened to Lisey's story? I have, I have. I think it's very well written. I think that's my favorite. Is it? Yeah. I keep thinking I need to go. I think I read it at a time when, for whatever reason, I wasn't receptive to it. Mm-hmm. But I and I, I guess it's about somebody. I was reading just the other day. It's about him and his wife. Essentially, kind I of, didn't yeah. know that. You know. Yeah. And, it didn't connect with me at the time, but I really need to go back and reread it. I do think it was a very well-written book. Um, My biggest complaint with him, and we've talked about it before, is uh, a lot of times he uh, he does a beautiful job of fleshing out characters. He's the best at that, I yeah. think. Uh, You're going to say something about the endings? The, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the best, uh, probably the best, my most my favorite uh, example is Under the Dome. Right. Man, that book was incredible. The characters were alive, I mean, and there were tons of characters because it was a whole town. The ending, it was like, oh, shit, man, I'm at like 1,300 pages. I need to end this shit. Uh, right. Uh, alien Ant Farm. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. It, Smooth Criminal? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
You know what's? It, I I do like some of those endings that like people get pissed about the ambiguous endings, mm-hmm. and I do like those on occasion. I do. I think those yeah. are strong. Those piss actually. people yeah. off, but yeah. I like them because you're still thinking about them after you're done. Mm. But some of the endings are not that great. But the ambiguous ones, you know, also piss people off. Um, <laughs> well, then you can you can talk about what do you think happened? Right. Like what's your theory? Right. You know, and I, I like that too. But um, I'm not as much of a, a king like aficionado as right, probably right. you guys are i haven't read a ton of his books but i'm a huge fantasy fan right i read the shit out of fantasy so um people told me oh you'll love the dark tower you'll love it right read it i fucking well, you know, hated the, those books you know what? <laughs> i gotta tell you oh you read them all yeah because okay because i those are the ones that i don't i didn't really read i read the first one and was completely bored but i've had a yes. couple people that have written books about them yeah. that told me that if you start with the second book that it's yeah. you know yeah, that it I picks up that. a lot you know and it does pick up and, uh, and there was one of them in there that was i would say it was good but the series as a whole i was just like i've just never been a fantasy guy but, i like game of thrones i didn't yeah. i don't really i have to admit i feel bad i don't really like the books that much because mm-hmm. to me they kind of drag their eight i don't really love big books even though i will read them i right. um gravitate towards smaller ones yeah because i have a shitty attention span i think but um mostly you know and i had to be my ex-wife tried and tried and tried to get me just to watch Game of Thrones. I'm like, I'm not fucking watching Game of Thrones. Ron, our old friend, tried and tried and tried to get me to watch Game of Thrones. I'm not fucking watching it. Then I watched it. I was like, oh, this is fucking dark. That's That was the key for me, dark. Right. I haven't dark watched and twisted. it yet. As soon as, the, oh, I'm not going to say, what, yeah. but anybody that knows, as soon as they did that, you know, I gave him his, his crown of gold. That was the part where I was like, I'm on fucking board. It's about three episodes <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to watch this, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And that did, was it. You, did, you yeah. com- did you complete all seasons? Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't like the ending that yeah. much. <laughs> no, well, they, they, rushed, they rushed the fuck out of the ending. And it, yeah. yeah. But you know what's funny? I was on a, I was at a, I do um, like activism for this group, ADAPT, which is a, a disability group. Yeah. And get arrested with them a lot doing protests <laughs> and shit. And we were in Washington, D.C. when the, the finale was on. And luckily we had HBO in our room and I was like, I'm going to fucking watch this. Well, I was sharing my room with a, a older guy that went to sleep at like seven and he snored super loud. So I do need to rewatch that finale. Cause I was sitting there trying to hear it through snores. I, I mean, I already think it's flawed. I like yeah. some of the idea of, of it and the last season, but then I don't, I don't know. But, but anyway, watching it through snores probably wasn't the ideal way to right. do that. Yeah. <laughs> my issue with the ending of that is just like, if I he's going to watch it, you probably shouldn't. Well, yeah, I don't disagree with the way that they had it end, but they just, they didn't give you the the story to justify the ending. Right. They, they I did, give that. I they give just that. rushed into that. But and the idea make a lot of the of rest of this, the end of the season, I actually like, and people bitched about it, you know, about one character kind of changing. Yeah. But I like that idea, you know, that power right. corrupts. Absolutely. You know. Yes. Power, absolute power I think corrupts that, absolutely. I do yeah. think that was the intention all I along. I think that they just like skipped to the end. But the ending <laughs> sucked. Yeah. And it did. See, it was a short season too. It just right. It, it sucked. I think the showrunners just said like, uh, "We could. We well, probably we got- should do this for like three more seasons, but we want to wrap this up. Let's just do it." Well, no, I, I think that, was- I think that was basically HBO says, "Okay, this is how much you got." Yeah. Right. Right. Get it done. Probably. So what's the thing with the spinoffs? Are they still coming? There were supposed to be two or three no, spinoffs. I heard, Are I they heard, dead now? Well, I heard one of them fell through. Uh, at least with the um, the Weiss uh, and Benoff, whatever, mm. whatever his name is. Whatever the name right. is. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, I was talking about this with a friend of mine the other day, Craig, you guys know. 
Um, and he w- he made the comment that um, those guys couldn't even get a Critters remake now. So <laughs> oh, I, shit. I, I, I died. <laughs> I, I, the critters. I died when he said that. <laughs> he goes, you can use that. I said, thanks. <laughs> like Platinum Dunes that does all the remakes. They won't return his calls. Didn't, didn't they remake Critters? Or was uh, it Ghoulies? So one of them got remade. I think it was Ghoulies. Ghoulies? I, I think so. Remember. I don't want to see a remake of either of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not trying to rush out. Where are we at on time, brother? Oh, no. We're at, we're at about an hour 30. We could wrap it up. We can talk a little more if you guys want. That's I'm having fun. fun. Yeah, no. We're, this we're is having, fun. a great time, yeah. This is great. Yeah. All right. Yeah, man. We really appreciate you. I mean, so I did a book on porn stars? Yeah. That was kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like if we're just looking for shit to talk about. So... Whenever people say, what's the coolest thing you've ever done? See, I will tell you this, because if I ever write a memoir, it's going to be fucking cool. But people will say, is this story true or false? I will always tell you how you'll know it's a true story, because all of my stories have some really cool part about it, and then it ends with something shitty happening to me. <laughs> that's how, okay, like, I, get, I do a show with Tech 9 Forget all the words. You know I mean? It's right, always, yeah, yeah. Get, a, get a record deal. Company goes out of business. Like, these are how yeah. all my life. You know, so I don't know if you guys are old enough or, or watched any porn, but, um, Jill, Jill <laughs> Kelly, Jill Kelly was the second biggest female porn star of the 1990s behind Jenna Jameson. And so she was one of the ladies that I interviewed for the porn book. And at that time, Jenna Jameson's book, had just came out and he was making a lot of money. And so I asked her, would you be interested in writing a memoir? And she said, yes. So I said, well, this is going to be this is going to be great. We're going to make a lot of money. And I also at another time asked Ron Jeremy, who was, I'm either in or worked on three movies that Ron Jeremy's in, none of which are porn. I wrote a scene wow. with Ron Jeremy in a really shitty movie called Slaughter Party in which he gets slaughtered. So anyway, um, <laughs> and he told me, I'll only do a book if I get a million dollars up front. Well, he did a book and I assure you, he did not get a million dollars. He might get a million years in prison now, but yeah, so I anyway, he's in jail. Yeah. like 18 more charges or something came up wow. last week. But, um, how, how do you vet any of that? You uh, know what I was Yeah. <laughs> so what well, was crazy. So I go to out there and I, and Jill Kelly's great. And this is a woman that I masturbated to frequently in the 1990s. I'm not going to lie. She was, <laughs> they called her uh, a, um, an editor of club magazine. This was, you know, back in the magazine days club was one that I worked at a, at a, at a gas station and they would have club magazine. So every month I would conveniently steal an issue of club magazine and take it home. And so here I am sitting with this woman that I've masturbated to probably a hundred times. I mean, it's not like, you know, we, that doesn't happen every day. You know, you just sit around somebody, but it's different when it's someone famous, you know? And so we go to her home. Here's the crazy shit about her home. Her home was originally uh, lived in and built for Clark Gable. Now, really? I'm thinking, how crazy is that? It went from Clark Gable to a porn star. Anyway, <laughs> ah, so um, she had like two or three black Escalades, you know, and this is way back. This is when I was out there. It was when I want to say, what was it? 2004, because it was when the news came out when I was down there that Dave Chappelle had disappeared from the Chappelle show. Oh, and um, I was also there to do that book with Gary Graver. I was going to do both of them. And so it was a crazy, so the cool story is I spent the night at Jill Kelly's house. Uncool part is she disappeared the next day. We never spoke again and we did not have sex. Um, <laughs> but the, the funny thing is it was the weirdest fucking night ever. So I can, I don't know. I will not say that she was using any drugs or anything, but she had some of the characteristics of people I've been around that were tweaking. And I don't know if that means anything, but 
Maybe she just had like 80 energy drinks. I, I can't say, you know. And it's years and years <laughs> of built up cocaine. Right. You know, who you knows? Know, who knows? I'm, no. But uh, so anyway, uh, it's me and her, this other porn star that was staying with her. She had hangers on. They were just chilling in the house. Like there was a dude in the living room that just like gave me some meth. Like this was way wow. back when I would do that shit, you know, and um, I've since learned my lesson. But um, so anyway, and like, it's like two different things happened. One, this alarm goes off and she, or she gets a call and she's like, there's an alarm going off at my studio. She owned her own porn company, Jill, uh, Jill Kelly Productions, I think. So we rush down there. She thinks somebody's broken in. Well, it's just me, her two black labs, I think maybe it was one black lab. It was a big ass black lab. And this other girl, I don't know what we're going to do. She doesn't call the cops. So we rush down there. Somehow the alarm had just been tripped, but we go in her off. Oh, I'm trying to remember the, the order of this. Again, my memory is shitty. We go inside and I don't remember. We were only there long enough for her to turn off the alarm, but she opens up this drawer and it's filled with books. And I'm like, well, what are those? And she goes, oh, those are the books of the other writers that were supposed to write my autobiography at different times. So... You know, this should have been a giant red flag, but I'm thinking, no, I'm the motherfucker that gets to do it. Fuck those guys. And these are books by some big, you know, like Rolling Stone writers and shit. Like, these are books of people that I knew. So I think, well, fuck those guys, you know. So we go back out. She locks up. We're all three getting back in the Escalade. And I'm pretty sure it was an Escalade. It was a big black SUV. And the black lab jumps in the car and it gets its paw caught in the little, whatever that little runner is on the side of the. It had like a runner on the side and it fell and broke its leg and it was just hanging there. So I have to lift this black lab up and she's freaking out. And she was like acting like, you know, like, thank you. Thank you so much. You saved my black lab. So we go back to her house and, and I'm hanging out and I'm trying to be the professional guy. I'm not going to try anything, you know? And I mean, who's going to do that? You saved her black lab. You shouldn't have to. Right. But I will say this. So at two and this is where I probably fucked up (laughs) at two in the morning, I'm sitting on her bed with her. As she's <laughs> and she's she's sitting and then she's checking her emails, her fan mails, and we're talking. And her bedroom has pictures of Marilyn Monroe all over it. You know, like she's into this Marilyn Monroe thing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and also because I was intimidated. I'm just gonna tell you, I was a little intimidated. But I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try that shit. I'm gonna be the because I want to write a book. I want right, a book. Right, a book right. will last forever. <laughs> Sex with her and me is gonna last about thirty seconds at that point. You know what I mean? So. I'm, I, I do all the right shit. So the next morning, she says, uh, you know, she's going to go down to the office. She's going to do some other things. Uh, she wanted me to go. I said, I'm going to go back, uh, change clothes, take a shower. I'll come back and I'll meet you. She disappears and never see her again. Don't know what mm. happened. So that was a fucking weird story, right? It's just yeah. weird. It's, but you got the story. I got the story. You it's got weird, the story. It's like half a cool story, though. Yeah. It's like almost a cool yeah. story. Hey, hey, hmm. you get merit points for being professional. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> if I could do it again, I'd take the 30 seconds. Hindsight's uh, 2020, man. Ah. Uh, but what uh, are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. It's a pretty weird story, but it's true. Wow. So that's why I say if I ever write a memoir, it's going to be filled with fucked up stories. None of them end well, but they're. <laughs> So uh, and and I don't I don't follow her I you know I don't know is, is she, so she's still doing anything is she I have no idea yeah I don't know I haven't really you know it's, I was never like a big connoisseur but I would you know check out the magazines and stuff and 
you know, like a lot of guys, I'd watch about five minutes of a porn, turn it off and be done, you know? Right, right, You right. don't really have, and they, they were kind of interesting to me when they had plots. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. The only reason we did that book was for two reasons. One, I wanted to kind of learn about that world, because I don't know that much about it, or I do now. And two, porn stars are easy to access. They're easier to access than, say, like, you can get the Tom Cruise of the porn world easier than you can get the Tom Cruise, Tom oh, Cruise. Hollywood, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and- so I thought, well, this is an opportunity to do a kind of an interesting book. And, you know, that go that kind of goes back to some of the stuff that you were saying earlier about, you know, why do people do what they do, you know, or why, right, people, right. And, and, you know, um, and why, why would she invite you to come write or, or talk about things and then just blow you off? I don't you know. know. That's one of my theories is that, uh, she's got a story that she's, I think she's scared to tell her story in a way. Like she had a husband, uh, who was also, uh, an adult film star. I believe his name was Cal Jammer, which was his porn name. And mm-hmm. he, they had split up and I don't know the whole story, but supposedly as I've read it, he committed suicide on her porch with her standing there. And, oh. and I, and I'm yeah. sure that things like that would be really hard to tap yeah. into. Yeah. 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 And I can understand that. Um, even with the, the memoir I'm doing with that actress now, Erica Gavin, I think that's part of the reason it's taken so long as I think there are a lot of things that she's diving into that are hard for her, you know, and. I mean, that's her story. I'm not going to get into it, but it's just, you know, if you live a long life, most of us are going to have a lot of shitty things that happen. And if you want to be real about them and really open yourself up, it's a hard process. Right. You know, right. and especially for the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's, if you're in the light, you know, the barrage of, well, well, and part of the reason I don't write a memoir is because half of my family would disown me or hate me, never speak to me again, you know, and memoirs are hard. And so. I have to give it to this lady. She's really opening up in her memoir, and those are the best memoirs. And I, you know, I feel like why do it if you're, if you're not going to half-ass it, right? Yeah. Right. I am supposed to do a memoir on my heart transplant, and I just haven't been able to bring myself to do it because mm-hmm. it's a lot. Just that, even sure. though there's nothing embarrassing there, it's just, you know. Well, you, you yeah. yourself know that that journey is probably really difficult for a lot of folks, and you know, I don't know. This is, is me saying, hey, man, you should do that. Right. No, so. I'm going to, cause I want to, I want it to be out there for other people to read and, um, probably, know, I, probably would help you to, it would. I, I mean, to revisit those emotions and, and kind of put it behind you. I mean, I'm just guessing, right. but you know, you know, revisiting your, your heart transplant and you talking about how you go to some hospitals that, that let you hold your heart. Yeah. You know, I told you there's like no fucking way. I just realized that. Yes, I totally would. I would straight up be like, Kalima. <laughs> right? Kalima. Shoti <laughs> day. I thought you were going to say, I'd be like, no. You're taking a no. bite out of it or some God, shit. The old Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why I didn't think of that at the I time. Know. I'm like, it's just, he's talking about it. I'm like, <laughs> fucking Kalima. Or like in uh, From Dust Till Dawn, where they take yeah. the heart and stick the. Stick mm-hmm. the pencil in it, and then he falls <laughs> on the ground and dead. Tom like, Savini. There you go, Savini. Savini was great in that. Yes, he was. I, I, my experiences with him have not been wonderful, but you know what? He, I still, I think he's amazing. You know, and attention to detail given to Robert Rodriguez. So, like Desperado, they he reveals the crotch gun, the crotch right? gun, right? Yep. You know, yep. everybody watched that movie is like, whoa, what the <laughs> fuck was that? And then Guess they don't what? use it, right? From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's a shit. Really, you put Robert Rodriguez together with Quentin Tarantino and good shit happens. 
That was a cool ass movie. Yeah. yeah, it was. I I don't think he gets enough credit. I it really does, don't. You know what? You know I, what? I want to give a shout out to fucking Robert Rodriguez for the Alita film, dude. I loved the <laughs> yeah. shit out of that movie. Yeah. That was pretty good. I thought that was great. It's, I, it I sounds want, like we're uh, going to get another one too. I want That's a sequel yeah. so bad. Yeah, sounds like we're going to. I loved to. it. What out? But in in with that being said, though, I still I feel like I don't know um, the nineties. I don't know if you want to. I mean, I'm sure there's a golden era of Hollywood, but I think the '90s was so good for film. But I mean, compared to what we're getting now, I, I just oh, feel like a lot of things are. Uh, sure. I feel like everything yeah, yeah. was better. It, just so you know what I mean? Because this is a so. horrible. They were remaking everything. Like, did you see now the Golden Girls is being remade? Like everything. And the thing is, there are so many good books that exist that they won't. Why not make movies of those motherfuckers? Yes, right. You know, Please. like lazy. God. That's well, lazy. But see, here's the thing: because <laughs> it's name recognition. But that doesn't even work because most of them bomb anyway. Well, you yeah. know, I, I would say, uh, you know, we went through. I, was it the late '90s or was it the early 2000s? So we went through the remake craze, right? And that those were like direct remakes. Charlie's Angels. Right. But but we're trying to, <laughs> which has been remade again. Yes, we're we're just no. <laughs> we're we're simply trying to remake what was then, just modernize yep. it. Okay, then we went mm. through the 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 reboot. Harry, well, the the right. Harry Potter era, where then you got the Hunger Games. You got yeah. you know, oh, yeah. you got all uh, Twilight. Let's you put, got all those. Let's let's take put all these people young, into groups, young, and- <laughs> young adult movies, <laughs> and now we're jumping back to remakes but they're all remakes flipped on their heads yeah yeah. so like they're trying to do something different have you seen the trailer for freaky uh no No. but i know what you're talking about it's like freaky friday (coughs) made into a horror movie and it looks fucking kind of cool it's by the same guy that did happy death day which is basically groundhog's day so he's taking all these old comedies and making them into fucking cool horror movies and i don't uh, know bloom house or is it bloom house it's with Blue Mouse, but I think it's the same director that's or the oh. same writer. I'm not sure. But Happy Death Day was actually really and good. And I was really skeptical, but it is good. Yeah. And this 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 freaky, it looks fucking crazy. Yeah. It's um Vince Vaughn is a serial killer and he kills this, yes. this my, teenage. Oh, yeah, that's it. My, yeah. my I wife was, watched it, but yes. My yes. wife was saw the trailer and was just telling me telling me about it last it night. It looks so yeah. fucking fun. Now I don't know if it's gonna be, but the trailer looks fucking awesome. Now I need to watch it. I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I thought, this guy, whoever's doing this, this is brilliant. They're taking old... You know what comedy I'd like to make into a horror movie? What about Bob? Because it's about this far from when he's stalking him and shit. Because yeah. in real life, you'd be waiting to get fucking murdered at any minute. Bob even murders his sister. I mean, marries his sister. Don't touch What About Bob. Come on. <laughs> I love What About Bob. <laughs> I'd like to see a horror spin on Three's Company. There you go. You could. Yeah. Come and knock on a door. Which... <laughs> the question We've been is, waiting for you. Which one is the killer? Yeah, like in Mrs. Roper. No one would expect <laughs> right. Mrs. Roper. So let's talk about the two Mr. Ropers now, because the one they're supposed to be brothers. So what happened to the, you know, the one guy leaves and then his brother moves in with his wife? What kind of freaky shit is going on here? Yeah. I've been wondering about this for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the uh, Lanor game. You had Norman Fell and uh, Don Knotts yeah. As, yeah, the, yeah, as the two Mr. Ropers, you know? Right. <laughs> we're uh, revealing my help. age here on this no scene. no i no, watched the shit no. out of three right, company right. as a kid man no. <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm lost I'm yeah, yeah you're okay uh, yeah i mean i've just i just missed the cut yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, you're lost, I, I'm about to turn 45 so 
I'm 47. But, there you go. I'm okay. right there with you, man. I'm 42. So I'm 27. You are 27. Baby. You're full of shit. <laughs> you're about to die. <laughs> How old are you though? About 30. I'm 39. I was gonna say you're yeah. up there. Some. I mean, not up there, but you're yeah. fucking below me. I. Mean, it's like it's weird when age creeps in on you. Because the other day I was making fun of Tom Brady, saying old motherfucker needs to quit, and I realized he's way the fuck younger than me. <laughs> But I mean, but you know what? You know, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to play pro football either, though. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's still good for his age. I just hate him. <laughs> You're getting that guy sitting yep. on the couch. But if Cheetos. he came to, but if he joined oh, the couch, I could have threw that touchdown pass. I enjoyed the shit watching him lose. I loved watching him lose. <laughs> but you know what? As much yes. as I hate him, if he joined the Cowboys, all of a sudden I would like him. And I, I kind of, I hate liking the Cowboys, but at the same point, I've liked them all my life. What are you going to do? But you know what? Like before, Deion Sanders came to the Cowboys when he was with the 49ers, and he was fucking us up. I said, fuck Dion. I don't. And then he, yeah. a year later, he's with Dallas. And I'm like, oh, I love Dion. Oh, Dion. Oh, yeah. I love you. Neon Dion, goddammit. I'm kind of that way. I'm a Broncos fan. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, Melvin Gordon, like, fuck Melvin Gordon. <laughs> he's like, no, he's like, all right, let's go, Melvin Gordon. Yeah, he, he looked all right. fumbled the other night. Oh, I was just saying, well, from what I watched, he looked all right. Yeah. yeah. He scored a touch. He, he did. It was hit or miss. I don't know. I won't go into it. I'm a little. I'm a little butt hurt that they lost by a field goal. Seventeen seconds left. Yeah, that sucks. It is starting to get a little warm in here. You were right. It, yeah, it's creeping yeah. up a little. Yeah, you turn the fans off. You, it, I, I want one more question before we'll let you go. Sure. Um, I want you to tell us about uh, Adapt a, a little bit. Oh, is Adapt. It, oh, yeah. yeah. Adapt is this great group. Um, I only got involved with them about two years ago. Um, they're this really neat group. They go out and they do a lot of activism. The majority of people in ADAPT are in wheelchairs, um, but there are people like me that had a heart transplant or, you know, what they call invisible disabilities, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I was also in a coma for three weeks uh, years ago. And so I've never been the same since then, you know, because, you know, what's funny real quick when you see movies like Kill Bill or Hard to Kill, you know, the Seagal movie, mm-hmm. they, they're in a coma, they wake up and they start whooping ass. Now, obviously we know that's not real, but I couldn't walk. Like your body atrophies in, I, it was three weeks and my body atrophied. I had to learn how to walk again. So I've oh. never been the same. So anyway, that's my disability. So ADAPT is this organization that um, we meet with legislators. We do a lot of stuff in Washington, D.C. We try to... Um, get laws passed that that help the disabled uh you know right now a big issue is medicaid expansion um mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to get arrested at those honestly but um it's an important cause you know so it's sort of i mean i'm not gonna lie as i've gotten older i don't want to get in trouble but at the same point it lets me act out and act out for a good cause right um but you know if you saw you know when they were uh trying to pass the new uh health bill in 2017 all the protesters that got carried out in wheelchairs, that was adapt. I wasn't there yet, but that was us. Um, so it's just a really neat organization. Uh, they've been around since the seventies. I've talked to some people about doing a book on their history sometime. Cause I think it's, they are right at the forefront of disability, uh, civil rights ever since, you know, like I think 1974 or something like that. Um, we've got a photographer named Tom Olin. If I ever do the book, he's going to do it with me. He's got beautiful black and white photos all through that period. Mm. Um, different things, you know, uh, you know, and sometimes over time, you know, uh, they've been roughhoused by the cops and all this stuff, but you know what? It, it's important cause. And when we talk about civil rights, nobody ever talks about the disabled. And frankly, you know, any one of us, anyone can be disabled 
in the blink of an eye. You sure. know, you can go out and get in a car accident. I've seen people, I knew, I worked with a man years ago that had a head injury. He had tripped in his house and hit his head. And after that, he had a head injury. He was never the same. And, mm. you know, um, you can become disabled just like that, but people don't think about disabled people unless they are disabled or they have someone in their family that's yeah. disabled. Which this right. hits us, um, in a sore spot. I mean, we're, we're in a band named command and, uh, our lead guitar player, um, freak accident. He was, uh, constructing a suspension bridge and he wasn't locked in properly. Oh, wow. He got bucked off, fell 15 feet into a ravine, landed on his neck and, uh, he is paralyzed from the neck down now. Oh, wow. And, uh, can never play music again. Um, he, he has since started writing. He has a book on Amazon now. Good. Um, about his experiences? Um, no, he's he's working, he's working on that on one. Good. He's actually but this one's fiction. This one's oh, fiction. Do, do you recall the name of the book? I, I can't uh, think off the top of my head. I, I want to give it a shout out though, yeah, since we're yeah. talking about it. I've got it. Uh, um, but uh, that's Spencer Smith, hell of a guy, super yeah. intelligent. That's guy. interesting. So, good for him. Yeah. I mean, not good for him that he, you know. Well, yeah, but you know what um, I mean that he persevered and he kept fighting and he didn't give up. Exactly. He he hasn't got up or he hasn't he hasn't given up. And he I'm, has. I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but the the Trihemin Prima or Trihemin Prima, book one, the beginning, Trihemin Prime one. Yeah, there we go. It's on Amazon, Kindle format, ninety nine cents. I believe it's a fantasy kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Super smart guy. Super talented guy. Just uh, come through some hardship, and you find another road to take. You know. Right. So. It's it's inspiring. No, that's amazing. But yeah, so I just want to give a shout out. Since no, we're I on think the that's subject. amazing. Yeah, I, no, I think that's great. So, and, you know, as far as him doing the book on his life, sometimes those things are really hard to, you know, especially sure. with the, you know, because the because I'm a writer and I've done so much writing over the last 25 years. People think, you know, people it, people thought it would be a an obvious thing for me to write about my transplant. I really didn't want to, and even mm-hmm. now it's hard for me to. I know it will sell, and I know it will. But it's just it's so hard to relive that sure and um what's funny i did one short story about a girl that got a heart transplant and people thought it was going to be this touching story because i shared it on facebook that's not what i write right and and (laughs) i said don't you people know what i write but um but it was kind of how i started dealing with it you know because it's about a girl that had a heart transplant and she's going through all of the after stuff and the family uh you, you can meet the donor's family you know and so, um, and I still haven't had the courage to send that letter. I've got it written to my, and I need to write it in case of, or I need to send it in case if something ever happens to me. So they know that their son, you know, or husband's, uh, organs went to use and are appreciated, but mm-hmm. it's about this girl and she writes the letter and she gets it and she has a conversation with the mother and, and they're kind of connecting and the mother invites her to their house for Thanksgiving. And her father asks, you know, do you want me to go? And she says, no, I think there's a thing I need to do alone. And she goes and. And what it basically comes down to is that the, the, and it, and it builds up kind of slowly, but what it, what it gets to is that the mother has a shrine to her lost daughter. And the only thing that she doesn't have is the heart. So she wants it oh, back at oh, the end, damn. And, you know, and, and it's in my last collection, which is called, um, crazy ass stories for crazy ass people, which came out last <laughs> year. And then I've got another collection coming out, I think in October. Um, I love writing short stories, but. Sometimes it's hard to find time to do them and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to fit in all the other things. Because short stories really don't sell very well. Right. Those are the, the you know, but I want to put together a big book next year 
with stories from all of the different ones with the best of all of them. And, you know, um, I do like writing them, but anyway, I didn't mean to get us off. No, 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 that's great. Well, we're, we're going to wrap it up here in in a second, but, um, is there any, uh, anything that you're working on or coming out soon that you want to just let people be aware of or let people know how to reach you on social media, any of that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have a Facebook page called um, Andy Roush, or I think it author Andy Roush. Um, that's R-A-U-S-C-H. I have two books coming out within the next month, month and a half. One is Carnival of Souls, which is coming out from Happy Cloud Media is the name of the company. They just did Tom Savini's book, and then um, and that's a novelization. And then I have a short story collection I'm really proud of. Uh, I went with a smaller publisher called Terror Tract. Um, I went with them because... Uh, my my oldest daughter is an is a an artist, and I wanted to use her artwork for the cover. Mm-hmm. And most places make you you know go with whatever they want. Right. And I, I went with the smaller one because they let me use her artwork. And I also did a, a the name of this story. It's funny. The title isn't the greatest title, but it's a short story collection. The title was to fit the picture. My daughter had this picture I kind of liked. It was a done with computer. Uh, it was like computer art. She does all the different kinds, but it had all these snakes of different colors on it. And I was thinking, well, what the fuck kind of story, you know, what do I come up with that fits that? So this is the wait for, wait for this cheese stories. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, and I also co-wrote a story with my 10 year old when she was nine. And that's going to be in this one too. She had a, a monster story idea. And I said, well, what if we, you know, made this bigger? And so there's a little artwork from her in it as well. So this is just a special little side project where I got to work with my kids. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. So th- and that should be coming out soon. They're all available on Amazon or wherever. So awesome. Well, right. I'm going to be listening to some stories here soon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm super <clears throat> grateful for Daryl. Uh, yeah. You know, introducing you to us. This um, has been fun. Thank you guys. Now, no, thank I, you. you know, I've been looking for new things to read. So yeah. now I've got a good list going on. There you go. I mean, a Stephen King fan, Tarantino fan, uh, you know, Chuck Palahniuk fan. I knew he'd fit in. He's morbid. <laughs> yeah, well, I would say the, my actual crime books are very dialogue driven. You yeah, know, like the Tarantino. That, that's stuff. awesome. And people do generally praise the dialogue. I mean, I don't brag much, but I, I am good with the dialogue. I mean, uh, yeah. Um, until one of us is dead, I think that's why I like it is because it's different. It's not dialogue driven. It's just really introspective and dark. But um, the other stuff dialogue driven. So mm, fuck it, I'm gonna dive into it all. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, you've been off the edge with Matt, Zach, Daryl, and author Andy Roush. Until next time, be well, everybody. Thanks a lot. 